Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend. And in honor of the new Amazon Prime Rings of Power show, we will be discussing Peter Jackson's incredible film trilogy, adapting J.R.R. Tolkien's legendary Lord of the Rings books. Okay, so to start out with the news, we have world news, not necessarily film news, although it does tie in at a certain point. But indeed, on September 8th, we received news that the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, has passed away at the age of 96 after a 70-year reign. So crazy, an end of an era for sure. I mean, practically everyone on the planet was knew her as the queen, and now all of that has changed. That's insane. Dylan, yeah. you have um, curious opinions about this. Nah, this is a movie podcast. Let's not. <laughs> okay. And uh, she you, will uh... be missed by a lot of people, and uh, all the best of luck to King Charles. Are you a watcher of The Crown? I've seen the first two seasons i've seen the first season and a half and i like it and then for some reason i fell off but i do want to finish it one day and now i know how it ends exactly there you go so originally they were gonna do season five and six and then end off in her reign in basically like modern times like the 2010s -hmm. but now they may have to reconsider that and add another season or go into their plans for that final season and add this in because Yes, we now have the full story of Queen Elizabeth. So there you go. Rest in peace to the Queen and condolences to all the British folks out there. Indeed. National Cinema Day, which was on September 3rd, was a huge success. Uh, Theaters all across the country were selling movie tickets for $3 on September the 3rd. Three, three, of course. And there were 8 million consumers on that day. So way to go, cinemas. Maybe you should just drop the price to three dollars all of the time. Well, that probably wouldn't be tenable financially. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but it does point to a trend that they should do in that if there's just a dry season for whatever reason, and there's going to be a bunch of holdovers or a bunch of re-releases, it probably wouldn't make sense to do something like a reduced-priced day make it a whole extravaganza like they did with this one, National Cinema Day, so they can bring people in and hopefully entice them to come back again for when the new releases kick back into high gear. So, yeah, definitely a successful day, um, certainly in terms of the raw numbers of the people who were brought out. So, yeah, fantastic. In other news, <laughs> the in continuation of our discussion of Don't Worry Darling and all the drama mm-hmm. going on with that, they had the Venice premiere this past weekend, and some crazy stuff went down. Were you up to speed with a hundred percent? I know everything that happened. Oh yeah. It Did is... you listen to the the interview with Harry Styles where they ask him why he likes the movie? <laughs> yes. And he's sitting next to Chris Pine. 
I mean, mind-blowing stuff right there. I just can't believe he said that. I it can't believe he went all the like like a movie, a movie, like like a a movie, movie, like like the kind of movie that you see, kind of movie. Yeah, and then Chris Pine he goes to the theater. Right next to him. He goes to the theater to see this kind of movie. I know people analyzing like the Chris Pine video, and then they see there's like a neck twitch when he first says it's a movie that feels like a movie, and then he's just trying to hold it in for the rest of that time. So good. That was hilarious. The mm. press conference itself, where Florence Pugh again didn't show up, but was apparently in Venice at the same time. Uh, well, of course, because she goes to the actual premiere. She just didn't want to. Well, she went to the actual like movie part. Right, but not the press conference. But they had so, yeah, said, like, oh, there's conflicting schedule. That's why she can't come to the press conference. But everyone knew that was not the case. And then yeah. Olivia Wilde got asked about the fallout and to speak on it and of course, she dodges the question. Uh, and then at the actual premiere, you thought it'd be some drama with Florence Pugh being there and Olivia Wilde, something going on with that. No, it was all about Harry Styles and Chris Pine and the supposed spit heard around the world or seen around the world. So, Do you think he spit on him? There's no way, just because it'd be the craziest thing someone would do just for no reason spitting on someone in full view of the cameras in full view of like everyone in that room just to try and get away with spitting on someone like no way so that's the the best defense and why it definitely didn't happen is it's just be it just be such a crazy thing to do Mm -hmm. but (laughs) when i first saw it the video it's so convincing it's what was chris reacting to why did he stop clapping because his representative said uh, he didn't spit on him. He was like, Chris Pine was just looking for his glasses. And he did have glasses, but they weren't on him in the video. It's so, true. Like, it's don't plausible. believe that, though, because he clapped for, he put the sunglasses down to clap, had like three claps, and then starts looking down. Like, you don't forget where your glasses are in that amount of time. And also, you're not really looking for your glasses when you're clapping. Like, you're just not focused on it. So why would he suddenly pause to look down for his glasses? See that they're between his legs where he put them half a second ago and then like pull them up, do a little shake of his head, mm-hmm. smile in that sort of way where you're like, ooh, this this SOB just did something and I can't react because we're in public. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It perfectly and the timing too of Harry Styles like sort of leaning over and then something happens with his lips where it looks like it purses a little bit as it would if he were to spit. Like it's just the timeline of that fits up perfectly. Yeah, so I don't know what actually happened. Too, I don't know what he's reacting he, to. But. If it didn't happen, it would be too much of a coincidence. People are, some people are like, maybe he was chewing gum and he accidentally spit it out. And then they both just tried to play it cool. And I'm mm-hmm. like, nah, that's not, there's no way. I mean, my take right. is that he 100%, 100% spit on Chris Pine. Like, I've but seen the video. Purposely? I don't know. That I don't know. <laughs> I, I've seen the video. And then I've also seen the behind the shoulder of Chris Pine where it's like slightly behind him and it's a wider angle. And people are like, look, it's so clear he's not spitting on Chris Pine. But then one person was like, if you zoom in really close, right above Harry Styles' hand, you can see a small little dot drop. It lands right on Chris Pine. So I haven't and seen I that. I saw it. I have that seen was the, the little dot. That was the thing we were all looking for, is that there would be, you would see some of the like spittle coming out. You'd see something. And I hadn't mm. seen it at all. So maybe I need to go back and review that other angle. It's very hard to see, but I could see a little bit of spittle dropping. Was it on purpose? Probably. Was it an accident? Maybe. 
There's just no, no way that it would be on purpose. It's just crazy. And what would what did Chris Pine do? He did nothing. Oh, he just defended Florence Pugh. Like that's the whole thing is that he's just on Florence Pugh's side. Well, isn't everyone? So yes. The other thing that I thought was hilarious is it got so big that they had to respond. They had their like PR teams have to come out and say, oh, this didn't happen. Here's the thing, though. Another point in favor of actual spit, that being the thing that happened, is the way that their PR teams were so adamant about denying it. All you had to do is just come out and say, oh, that didn't happen. I can see how maybe that would have been misinterpreted, but no, this didn't take place. But they were coming out going like, I cannot believe that the internet is just manufacturing this drama in order to create something to be interested in. This is a stupid optical illusion. It obviously didn't happen. Anyone could see that. They're just making it up out of thin air. I'm like, why are you going so hard into denying it? It really makes it seem like something did happen and now you're trying hardcore to cover for it. They could have also, if it were an accidental spit thing, they could have just said that too and be like, oh, something like flew out of his mouth. But no, they were hardcore going like, this never happened. Anyone who saw that video and thought that happened is crazy and just trying to generate drama. I mean, just look at Chris Pine's face. Like the face he makes is the face of a man who just got spit on and doesn't know what I to know. do. That's what I'm saying. It's like a subtle anger and like trying to control yourself because you're trying to be professional. I agreed. But again, in the post like Oscar slap world, the fact that anyone would go to someone and purposely spit on them like we're not talking about somebody cracking jokes up on stage. You're sitting right next to somebody, and as you're walking up to them, you spit on them. Like that's that would just be the craziest thing to do. So bold. I would do that as a joke, <laughs> but then but then I wouldn't try and cover it up. <laughs> Could you imagine Harry Styles as a joke, and it gets way out of hand, so he has to cover it up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, again, just lean into the joke at that point. Yeah. Which would still also be a crazy thing to do with all the real drama going on. But that'd be hilarious yeah. if the refs came out and they were like they were just riffing with each other. Harry Styles spit <laughs> on him. He thought it'd be funny. Come on, guys. They're just they're two guys. They're making jokes. Mm-hmm. That would be hilarious. Yeah. I mean, that was another explanation people came up with. Is like, oh, maybe it's a gag they do. And he yeah, every like, time one of them sitting on down, him, the other one action. spits on the other one. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't. I don't think you'd actually spit on people hey, for the Harry. gag. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh it's like Chris. it's a it's a sign of respect. You're sharing your moisture. Oh yeah. <laughs> the movie neither of them were in. Exactly. But Florence Pugh was in it, so she would get it. They should have been spinning on Florence Pugh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think we cracked the code here. Mm-hmm. They were just anyway, doing it, yeah, in honor of Florence Pugh's new movie. Yeah, of course. Of course. Anyway, we're gonna keep you up to date with all the rest of the Don't Worry Darling drama as it unfolds. Apart from that, we have a first trailer for Knives Out, the sequel. Why did you write it like this? Glass Onion, a Knives Out story is what it's called. Why did you write Knives Out, colon, Glass Onion? I was just going to put Glass Onion, and I was like, oh, I'm going to put Knives Out, so we know what it is. I was going to put the full title. All we need to know is it's a Knives Out sequel. You made me sound like a fool. (laughs) We got the first Glass Onion trailer, which is the sequel to Knives Out. What did you think of it, Ryan? I didn't see it. What did you think of it? It's interesting. It looks more like just a cut and dry mystery than trying to do something fancy with the mystery genre, which I'm more on board for. Gotcha. Yeah, I do it remember. It does seem a little overly complicated, though, so that might weigh it down. Because, mm. like, the thing about Knives Out that attracted me to it was that it was very simple. There is a murder, there's a mystery, and Daniel Craig will solve it. 
The thing that put me off of it was Daniel Craig was barely in it. Daniel Craig did not solve it. And uh, nothing went as it should have. Interesting. See, that I did like the the twist that they had on it uh, for the like early parts of the film. But as it went on and we got closer towards the end, I thought it got a bit ridiculous. And I didn't then, like it at first, but like then, I, then once I like accepted that that's the direction they were going to go, I was like, all right, I'll try and get on board again. Like, it's fine. I understand what he's trying to do. It's okay. Because obviously this is going to be another twist later. And then it just gets bonkers stupid. And Daniel Craig is just useless in that movie. Yeah, yeah, him and his tie tucked into a shirt. Yeah, <laughs> very strange. Um, but yeah, so I It'd be, it would be hilarious if he was useless in this movie too. I honestly, I want them to make these three movies where Daniel Craig <laughs> does nothing but make random analogies about donuts and holes, and mm-hmm. actually doesn't solve the mystery with a country accent. Uh, yeah, it'd it's be a Louisiana accent. He's Ben Wobbleck. He's about you. So, yeah, something to look out for there. Also, There's something to keep your eye on. Inside the hole. <laughs> the little donut hole in that hole. And that donut hole has a hole in itself. Yeah, too much. Too much donut talk and holes. Too much. We'll see if it comes back around, if it makes a reference to it. Uh, but Cobra Kai Season 5 is premiering on this weekend. Whenever this episode comes out, it has already premiered. So Whoa. go and watch that uh, if you're a fan of Cobra Kai and karate. And now I know what I'm doing today. I didn't even know. Yeah, oh, should keep you up to speed. Um, and again, it's back, still not the final season. Quick. They did. did. Season four come out earlier this year? It did, yeah. That's crazy. Good for them. They're really putting those out. I hear it's the best season so far. So, Which is wild that they're yeah. still able to keep it that quality. So up good the for stakes. them. Mm-hmm. Now for the box office breakdown for September 2nd to the 4th, and also including Labor Day. It was Labor Day weekend, and of course, as well, uh, Cinema Day, National Cinema Day happened. So even though there were no major new releases, we had a lot of holdovers that were able to get a nice bump from the weekend. And taking the top spot yet again, returning, is Top Gun Maverick in its... 15th weekend. Boom, boom, boom. It had 6 million in the three day, 7.9 million in the four day. Wild. It has returned to the number one spot after 12 weeks of not being in the number one spot. And it nearly set the record for a film that was able to come back to the number one spot after not being there for so many weeks. The actual record is 14 weeks. Dylan. Do you know what the film to set that record is? I'm going to go with... Is it a Marvel movie? No. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Titanic. Gotcha. Good guess. It is not the Titanic. It's actually the original Top Gun. That's crazy. Isn't it? The only other film to surpass Top Gun Maverick in terms of returning to the number one spot is the original Top Gun. What the fuck? They both left the number one spot in like early June mm-hmm. and they both returned to it in sort of this weekend in September. I think next weekend is the actual weekend that Top Gun returned the original one in its 1986 run, which is crazy. Absolutely crazy. They were able to <laughs> replicate the phenomenon pretty much. Bro, Top Gun Maverick was released at the perfect time. It absolutely was. 
The entire release, the holding it was genius. The release was genius. The promotion was genius. The follow through was genius. Mm -hmm. Like you see movies, they're like, we're going to hold on to it because we think it would do better at a later time. You're like, why? Like, you know, it's going to be merely like minutely different. And the longer you hold it, the less interest people will have, you know? And they held this movie for like two years. And you're like, what are they doing? This is crazy. They shouldn't hold it for this long. It's not going to make any money. $700 million domestically. $700 Seven hundred million dollars! What a genius! Whoever whoever made the the choice to hold it deserves a promotion because they're a well, genius. Yeah. They it just made seven hundred million dollars. It was certainly Tom Cruise played a role in that of saying like we are not going to let this go to streaming, and then yeah, they were able to wait until the right time for God, the pandemic so to settle down enough for people to be willing to go out to it, and with all the holidays, especially the patriotic holidays and like Father's Day as well. And the entire summer, I mean, it was just a perfect release strategy. And as you mm-hmm. pointed out, they have now crossed seven hundred million domestically, which beats out Black Panther's uh, domestic gross. So Top Gun Maverick is now in the top five highest-grossing movies domestically of yes, all time. Insane, absolutely impressive. No one saw this yeah. coming. Zero yeah, percent of people in the world, even the people that are holding on to this, did not think it would become this successful only tom cruise knew this would happen i don't even think he knew i think he's still sitting there surprised like oh my god i can't believe that happened but i'm, I'm still sure they are elated i'm still mad that neither of us picked this for the i know draft. it was just not on the radar no one Talking expected about the it biggest to do this opportunity biggest missed opportunity absolutely anyway coming in second is one of my picks for the box office draft, Bullet Train, which did $5.7 million in the three-day and $7.5 million, including Labor Day. That brings its domestic total to a minor $87 million compared to Top Gun Maverick, which brings its approximate worldwide total to $200 million. Indeed. Spider-Man No Way Home, the more fun stuff version. It got released in theaters this past weekend, made $5.4 million and $6.5 million. In the Labor Day weekend. Dude, so, I can't believe, bro. I can't believe Top Gun beat the re-release of Spider-Man No Way Home. I know. Everyone was anticipating, because it could have been anyone. It could have been, like, Bullet Train could have taken it, um, and nearly did as well, in the three-day and yeah, in the four-day, to be honest. Um, and Spider-Man No Way Home was also right on its heels in the three-day. So people were expecting yeah, Spider-Man odd. No Way Home to return to number one, but instead... It's surprising that Bullet Train also beat Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Very weird. Yeah, people, I guess the 11 minutes they added was not enough to entice people to go back out. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't go back out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, after Spider-Man was DC League of Super Pets, which made $5 million in the three-day and $6.7 million in the four-day. The... Yes, I'm right, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, in the four-day, it beat out Spider-Man No Way Home as well. That's no, slightly more than it. So, yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home didn't do quite as good as i'm sure sony was expecting it to yeah the invitation 4.8 million in the three day 6.1 million in the four day beast with 4 million minions 3.5 million thor love and thunder for 2.6 also 2.6 million jaws with a 2000 per theater average and just about 1200 theaters it was the highest per theater average of the weekend. I saw they were showing Jaws at CityWalk, and I was like, damn, I wish I could go, but I'm at work right now. <laughs> it sucks. I, they're still playing it all this week. Really? Yeah. 
That would be cool. So, Jaws in theaters yeah. sounds awesome. Check out this weekend if it's still playing because I think although be- I although I learned in uh, when we were watching the thing that it is a little disappointing to watch an older movie in the theaters because visually it looks great, but then the audio is is uh, it's not surround sound, so it's just coming from the front and it feels really weird in a big theater. Mm-hmm. It's a little disjarring, but still the visuals are awesome. Indeed. On the big screen. And then after Jaws was Dragon Ball Superhero with 2.4 million. Indeed. All right. Lower than I thought it would be. Uh, well, it's its third weekend. So. And it's also, again, it's not like it's in wide release. Fair. Since anime films still aren't like on that level yet. So pretty respectable. It's still in the top 10. So good for them. Wait until after Attack on Titan Season 6 to do the Attack on Titan movie. Well... Again, be that would be the best strategy to do because, as you can see, I mean, Dragon Ball Super Hero, which is effectively like, I mean, it is canon, but it's not integral to what's going on in like the anime and the manga. If you had the actual finale to Attack on Titan released in theaters, it would Dude, make would so much money. I just don't know why they wouldn't do it. Again, awesome I need to, everyone needs to email them and be like, please be smart. Just make it a movie. The visuals would look incredible. You'd make so much money. Just do that instead of a part three to your final season. It doesn't make sense. Anyway, moving on. From we'll do that a part three to the final season and then do a movie. Just draw it out. No. No. Make you we wait another year, happen. Ryan. No. I don't want to. But all right, let us now get into our discussion of Lord of the Rings. So to give some background information on this, of course. J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of it, uh, has created a story that undoubtedly is the major influence for all things fantasy that came afterward, is the foundation for that genre pretty much in modern times. It is The Lord of the Rings, which is essentially by him treated as like one single novel, but it had to be published in three different volumes. So those are the three books that we know of. as Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and Return of the King. They were published in 1954 to 1955 in that range. And they were a sequel to 1937's The Hobbit, which is already a pretty big phenomenon. And then, of course, Lord of the Rings has now eclipsed it and become even much more Mm -hmm. of a phenomenon. It sold over 150 million books in the 20th century. That's crazy. By far making it one crazy. of the best selling. Have you ever yeah. read them, Ryan? I have not. I recall you have been always meaning to read them and you have even started reading, but were you ever able to finish your read-throughs? I read The Hobbit mm-hmm. because I had to read it for a class. And well, the thing is, the copies that I have of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit are my dad's copies from when he was a kid. So they are very, very old. Right. They're very, very tattered and they're kind of falling apart. I don't really want to touch them anymore because I don't want them to fall apart anymore. One of the covers is being held by tape. I want them to be more preserved because, you know, they're from like the 60s. They're super old. Right. So I want to just let them be and just take care of them. Maybe you just like make sure they don't fall apart anymore. So I went Mm -hmm. and I bought a copy of Fellowship of the Ring, like a modern one. And I'm going to read it when I can get around to it and start my journey into Lord of the Rings. Right now I'm trying to do... One fiction book and one nonfiction book at the same time. So I just recently finished reading Mystic River, which is uh, 
It was an interesting read. I thought it was good. This isn't really about Mr. Grover. They, did they say that's my daughter in there in the book? He does say that's my nice. daughter in there. <laughs> yeah. Love to he see. He does it. indeed. My problem with the book was that the dialogue just wasn't working for me for a lot of it. But the overall story is still really good. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting read. It definitely, I think it was superior to the movie in the sense wow. that I just, I just got more of an understanding of the characters. And I also felt like there was just more, like like the, the first half of the book, they haven't even found the body yet. And that happens within like the first 20 minutes of the movie. And so right. like the whole process of finding her body is so expansive and so intense that uh, it's interesting. It's interesting to read. It's just all the uh, characters going through their their routine that morning until they find that body, mm-hmm. which is cool. But uh, yeah, I'm going to get to Fellowship of the Ring probably after I finish uh, the Sherlock Holmes book I'm reading, <laughs> Portrait of Dorian Gray, which I started and have not finished, this pirate book I have, and then Michael Pollan's psychedelic book. Then I can get to Fellowship of the Rings. So hopefully I will start it before the year is over. And then after that, I will go to Two Towers. After Two Towers, I'll go to Return of the King because I've always wanted to read them. My dad loves the books. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to read them. But my big problem with getting into it was the first half of Fellowship of the Ring, which is 200 pages, 300 pages, at least in my dad's copy. It's just them walking. Yeah. Like it's them it's them getting to Rivendell from the Shire. Right. And in the movie, that's like it's like 45 minutes, but then it's also intercut with like other storylines that are happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. In the book, it's just just the part of them walking. And I'm like, bro, how many times can you describe the feel of the ground and the look of the trees? Like, like it's I remember reading, bro, when I was re- when I was writing my book. I remember I started to reread Fellowship of the Ring and I started to get hypnotized by all the walking descriptions and started (laughs) to actually like it. So when I went back to continue writing my book, I started only writing about them walking. Dude, (laughs) so you ended up liking it. So then what made you fall off the second read that you were doing? uh, I think I was worried about the books falling apart and then also other books came up that I wanted to read. I got to the part where they were actually in Rivendell. Like I got to them being in Rivendell and they're about to have like the council of the ring. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is starting to get really, really good. And then something happened. I didn't pick it up for a while and other books came and I read other books and it's been like four years. Gotcha. All right. Well, yeah, you'll have to let me know how your read through goes once you're able to get back around to it. I have also always had them on the radar. So yeah, at some point I will, read them and have my own journey it's crazy to me that the woods. it's crazy to me that christopher lee like read them once a year every year because he loved the book so much mm-hmm. but they're so fucking long that it would take me a whole year to read this the, the series <laughs> like that's all i'd be reading nonstop. right yeah Just for me as well a, I'm, I'm a not... very slow reader and b they're very long and very descriptive so it would take a while to get through quite dense yeah i hate being a slow reader man it sucks me too i look at alexa she finishes a book in like two days i'm like fuck you that's insane yeah and spencer does it in half a day or something i mean it's a great feeling when you get to like the last like 150 pages of a book and you can just read the whole thing in one go 
Like that's because I did that with Mystic River the other day. I was like, I got 150 pages left. It'll take me like three hours. Let's just crack it. And I did mm-hmm. it, and I was like, that felt great. I got like the whole thing in one go, and it was awesome. But I then agree. that is a great feeling. I hate the feeling of like spending like two months trying to read a book, and then it's like, bro. I don't even remember how this thing started. Like I'm reading Michael Pollan's psychedelic book and I'm like, I started this book in probably February or something. And like I put it off for a while and now I'm getting back to it. And like, I really like this book, but I can't remember what the first chapter was about. And that sucks. I wish I could have just read it within a week, you know? Indeed. Yeah. You got to be pretty consistent with reading it or else. Yeah. You'll just forget all that came before. Yeah, and then my dumbass went to book Booksmart and bought like three more books that I don't need. I've, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now, and I've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26 books that aren't actually inserted into the shelves themselves, which means that they are on my <laughs> list of books to read. They're like, they're like laying flat on the shelves instead of lined up. And I also can see very clearly other books that are inserted into the shelves that I still have not read anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's more than 26 for sure. Like I have oh, yeah. the Jack Kerouac on the road trilogy. I haven't started that. I have a couple of Michael Crichton books I want to read. I want to reread Jurassic Park at some point because of right. the Jurassic Park episode. I have 1984, which I started but didn't really like. I've got... You didn't even finish it? Yeah, I got like three chapters in and I was like, I don't, because I loved Animal Farm and I started reading it. I was like, God, this is, this is not doing it for me. Like, I'll, really? I'll read it. I'll read it another time when I'm did more of the two minutes hate, the two minute yes, hate session. Nice. You should keep going. Again, like there's a does... lot of cool stuff about it, but it doesn't like grab me as, as, as big as Animal Farm did. I think Animal Farm was just so stylistic and like, like trying to come off as like a children's story while also telling this horrible like analogy for communism. And I was like, this is, this is gripping me, mm-hmm. but uh, no, it doesn't, it's very slow and it doesn't grip me as much. Gotcha. Which is by design, of course, but yeah. Indeed. I think it's worth a shot. I think it, I mean, I will read really it. Well. I bought it. I'm not going to buy a book and not read it. You know, I will mm-hmm. read all the books that are on the shelf one day. I mean, yeah, for sure. And you just finished mystic river. So you're making progress. You'll get to it. My so. goal is to read one more book every year than I did the year previous. And last year I read nine books. And so far after Mr. River, I've also read nine books. And it's only September. So I will beat that record yet again. Yay. Congrats. Eventually I'll get to 52 books. I'll be reading a book a week. Indeed. Which is what right. Alexa wanted to do this year, but then she got busy. Yeah. It always happens. But yeah, she's still at like even 15 if you shoot, books. Yeah, if you shoot for 52 and only me. get a few. Yeah, you're still... Making progress. Better than reading books. Ever reads books. Exactly. All right. Let's get back to discussion of Lord of the Rings and the trilogy, the film trilogy. Mm. So the books they were adapted into like an animated film sometime I think in the eighties or something like that. Yeah, which was by uh, Ralph Bakshi, Mm -hmm. who was this big animator at the time, and they were a wild, wild, wild stuff. The Lord of the Rings one specifically, because the Hobbit was somebody else, but. Lord of the Rings was Ralph Bakshi, and that shit was, like, I've seen clips of it. There were parts where he was like, uh, I'm doing a lot of this animation on my own, and I don't really want to uh, do all of this, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually film people, like, as the orcs and stuff, and, like, just heavy backlight it so that they're just these big dark figures, and then just throw in a big red background that's animated, and then, so he just 
there was a lot of times where it was just uh, a lot of stuff like that where it just wasn't filmed like an animated movie. Like he really like cut corners and stuff to make it more realistic. And he also did some mm-hmm. like like pseudo rotoscoping things where you would like record, you would like film people and then like draw over them kind of instead of like what actual rotoscoping is. So it's this weird mesh of things and it doesn't work altogether. But uh, it was an interesting idea. Plus, they mashed all three books into one two-hour movie, right? Which is which was never going to work. Indeed, yeah. Um, so that one wasn't uh, well received, it seems like. But the uh, Peter Jackson and a few of his collaborators in the mid '90s were like, "We want to do a fantasy thing," and then they were like, "Let's," because they were trying to obviously draw from Tolkien as inspiration. Uh, since he's the father of modern fantasy. And so they ended up deciding, why don't we just do Tolkien? Why don't we just try to adapt Lord of the Rings? So they got around to talking about that. Um, And then in the process of talking with the studio and the financiers, they decided that it'd be best to just go all in and try to make the trilogy. So instead of making the first film, and then the sequels come out years and years later, after they see how the first film does, they went all in to a trilogy of films which is crazy it is insane especially because i mean the budget was 300 million and in pre-code inflation dollars so a few years ago that would be 450 million now so it's essentially putting up almost half a billion dollars for a whole trilogy of films and you don't even know if the first one will be successful and you're already what a gamble bro green lighting yet the final film so the faith they had in peter jackson is crazy Indeed. And uh, I mean, again, it's on a 150 million copies were sold. So it's a very popular book. But even then, of course. you're still it's an untested thing to do a live action adaptation yeah. of it, which I think Kubrick had been approached at some point, And he mm. was like, this is unfilmable. It just cannot be done. So at the time, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So you have people like them being like, we can't do this. Yeah. And even then, this was like at the turn of the century. And so still questions about like whether this would be technologically feasible. We're still being asked. Um, and to do it on like this scale is crazy. And of course they had, they had two years of pre-production. So 438 days of production, which is <sighs> insane um, for all three of those Long films. Shoot. Indeed. Um, and then they were weaving in groundbreaking uh, special effects and visual effects and technology, things like motion capture technology, all the stuff with Gollum and whatnot for the battle scenes. Apparently they had come up with um, like simulations that were able to give each individual like avatar, um, each individual one of them like their own look, but then also their own programs to follow so that they were like making decisions that um, they would actually make and have battle tactics so that would work for all the big, massive scenes of the battles that are going on, which really were CGI, since you can't have thousands upon thousands of extras, because that would just be crazy. Um, you also have the like a lot of the old school film uh, tricks, like forced perspective and whatnot, utilizing yeah. that stuff. Um, the so, combination of VFX with like 
the practical effects is just genius in these movies. Like the way that they mm-hmm. were like, we will do the practical if we can, but if not, we will pioneer some new visual effect that will blend well together and not look jarring is just absolutely genius. And it still holds up today, 20 years later. Like it still looks like there are some parts where you're like, yeah, that's a little outdated, but it works in what you're watching. Like Gollum, mm-hmm. of course he looks a little outdated, but it still, it works. There's some yes. shots of like, the characters flying or something on like the like the Nazgul flying on the things and you're like it doesn't look great but it works it works in what you're watching because mm-hmm, it's just sure. so committed to the style that Peter Jackson is trying to capture. Agreed, and they also did a lot of miniature work, which they refer to as bigotures oh, yeah. because they were just huge, like on a massive scale, which again is great for giving that sense of tangibility and realism to some of those locations. So I just I stuff. love miniatures, man. I mean, mm-hmm. I just don't know why we would ever stray away. Like, I know it's a pain in the ass and it's expensive and it takes forever, but it just looks so good. Like Rivendell looks great. The the mm-hmm. White City looks great. Oh my god! Agreed. Yeah, it really pays off, and so it's great that they were able to have all that time to work on that stuff for these sets of films. Because, mm-hmm. as you said, twenty years later. A lot of it does hold up really well. A lot of magic is still there. So if they had greenlit this trilogy, but they were going to cut corners a lot, it certainly would not have been as successful, I think, at the time and wouldn't have the legacy that it does now. But the fact that they were able to like bank on the fact that it would be a success and a massive success and put up hundreds of millions of dollars before they even knew whether it would be successful and they allowed these artists and creatives to have all their time to do all that work. Um, it just shows throughout all the films mm-hmm. in every single scene. So that stuff is incredible. And the behind the scenes featurettes that they have, I mean, they're pretty iconic because there's oh, so yeah. much footage of that as well. There's just so much you can learn about uh, with everything related to <clears throat> these movies and how they were made. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a like the crunch that they had to do in preparation for i think it was the final movie the visual effects work and even like the sound people as well um like seeing all the crazy amount of hours hours that they were pouring into it it's just wild and to think yeah. that they they pulled it off is fantastic yeah. they weren't even done until like the week of the premiere exactly yeah. Zealand, which is nuts it truly call, is call it, Man, they're clearly calling it close there, but <laughs> tremendous effort and it worked completely. And then if you look at like the com- the commercial and the critical and the award success of it is nuts. Fellowship of the Ring made $898 million worldwide and it received 13 nominations and four Oscar wins. Incredible. And then the two towers made even more money, $947 million. It got five nominations and two Oscar wins because I'm sure at that point they were like, oh, these trilogy of films are going to be something else. Let's just give a shot to the other, mm-hmm. the other films, basically. Yeah. And then in Return, Return of the King, King, they were like, okay, we're going to acknowledge the whole trilogy, basically, by putting it all in this one film. It made $1.146 billion. So it's the second billion-dollar film ever behind Titanic. Titanic. Yeah. yeah. And then it got 11 nominations and 11 Oscar wins, including Best Picture, and best director. So Insane. To, to put into perspective, they put three hundred million dollars into these movies, and they made back almost three billion. Not to mention yeah. franchising, 
toys, all of that stuff. The extended Increase edition the book box sales. Thing. For sure. Oh my God, yeah. Like, yeah. the money they made is phenomenal. It is, but yeah. Also, again, just like all of them are well-received, they're acclaimed, and then getting that award success for big blockbuster films, that's incredibly rare. For fantasy films, it's unprecedented. Like, it's the only fantasy film that has ever gotten that. Um, It is tied for the most wins that a film has ever had. It's one of the... Because the sweeps... Sometimes, I mean, they happen, but it's usually with films that are nominated like, oh, three times or four times. This one had 11 nominations and had a full sweep, winning every single one, which is crazy. So we've never seen anything like that with this trilogy and with that particular film. And we haven't seen it since. Probably never going to see it again. I mean, to have a trilogy like that, that from the outset, like they had a clear vision of this is how we're going to do it. From the beginning, they also knew they were going to make all three of these films. And then for them to have all three like areas of success that you could have and to deliver on that for all of them, insane. Like so impressive, truly a lightning in a bottle cinematic achievement, which just hasn't been seen before, won't be seen again. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Now let's get into each individual movie. We will start with the first with Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Indeed. Ryan, what are your initial perspectives? Well, so let's talk first about the our relationship with the films and when we first saw them uh, and then whether we saw the extended. So I first saw it uh, quite a few years ago, like around 2015, I believe. They were playing on the TV, on cable, and so of course. Uh, we DVR'd them. <laughs> And decided to watch through them. Um, I can't remember what our like pace was. We did it one movie like every week. Um, it wasn't for like pizza night, I don't think. But mm-hmm. we just did decide to go ahead and watch them. And that was my first time seeing them. And of course, at that point, even then, like everyone knows some of the like characters like Gandalf and Gollum and whatnot. Like you know about the Eye of Sauron, like all those um yeah, the iconic that are, yeah, woven into the, exactly all the things that you know just from the cultural consciousness. But I didn't know exactly how the story took place or any of that stuff. Um, I wasn't too familiar with certain characters like Aragorn, like everyone knew like Legolas and that sort of thing, like oh, the elf with the archer or with the bow. Um, but yeah, some of the characters I wasn't aware about, and then of course the overall story I wasn't sure where it went so i was excited to watch it um and i did and so that was my first time ever viewing it the second time ever viewing the trilogy is when i did the rewatches this past week in preparation for the show really i haven't seen seen them twice yeah i haven't seen the extended editions either so i've only seen the theatrical theatrical cuts so yeah that's my experience with lord of the rings what about you you say you have seen them more than twice. I I cannot say when the first time I ever watched these was. I think if I had them real quickly, because I know Target used to have uh, the extended editions, the Blu-ray extended editions just on their shelves all the time, constantly. They probably still do, because they sell really well. <laughs> People buy them all the time. Right. And uh, I wanted them, every time we went to Target to go shopping, I'd be like, God, I really want these, I really want these. And so one day I was like, fuck it, I'm going to buy them. I have money. 
I'm going to buy them. This might have been like 2013 or something, like a long, long time ago. Mm. I bought the DVDs and I watched them. And I don't think, if I'm being completely honest, I don't know if I had ever seen the theatrical cut until this past week. I think I may have only ever watched the extended editions. Because there were there was like a, an experience, because I was like, I have to watch all these movies in a week. I don't really want to watch 12 hours worth of films. I'll only watch nine. It's fine. Right. <laughs> and so I, I was like, I've seen it before. It's fine. So I was watching it. And I was like, something feels odd. Like scenes are missing that I remember that I recall, like iconic scenes. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I can't say that I've ever seen the theatrical cuts until now. And I can say without a doubt, the extended editions are better. Like they are for sure mm-hmm. better, which is crazy because these are three hour movies and each extended edition adds an hour. <laughs> yeah. So Fellowship sure. of the Ring is four hours, Two Towers is four hours, and Return of the King is four and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And I remember, so I've seen them multiple times. Every once in a while, I'll pop them in and I'll watch them. And my favorite viewing that I ever did was uh, there was at the beginning of, or at the end of 2019, that semester, there was like a big hurricane coming in or something. And so like they shut down all of the schools. They shut down UCF, so we couldn't go to class. Right. And I sat down. It ended up not being super big of a deal for so our area. you're saying that's what you did for the hurricane? Was you stayed in and watched? I stayed editions? in and I watched the extended editions back to back in one day. It took oh me 12 and, a half, 12 and a half hours nonstop. Jeez. I was exhausted by the sure? I like I passed out in my bed because I was like, I felt like Frodo when he throws the <laughs> ring and I was like, it's I over. <laughs> God. But let me tell you, it was fucking awesome. It was incredible. Cause I literally, all I did was eat food and lay in bed and watch Lord of the Rings all day for mm-hmm. literally since the moment I woke up to the moment I fell asleep. Cause I didn't have anything to worry about. I didn't have a job that I needed to worry about. I didn't have school that I needed to worry about. Cause school was, school was canceled at the time. I didn't have to be anywhere. Cause there was like a, a like we weren't allowed to go anywhere because of the hurricane. There was like a, right. a stay indoors order. And mm-hmm. literally like I couldn't do anything else. And I was like, this is great because I don't have to worry about anything. Like no panic about it. I just sit down and just chill. And it was just just a great, great experience. Because the extended edition, and we're going to go through this. And I'm going to point out scenes that were taken out, that were cut. And there's mm-hmm. one scene in particular in Return of the King that should not have been cut. And I'm mad that it was cut. And we'll get there. But okay. uh, so for this watch, you yeah. only watch the theatrical cuts. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. When was the last time you had seen the, the like extended editions before? I think it was that possible. hurricane day. Okay. Gotcha. So it had been. It's been like two years, three years, mm-hmm. almost three years. Yeah. It was. It has been a while, and uh, it's just still a great watch. Yeah, I do think, and I probably will. I probably will watch the extended edition soon because. As I was, because as I was watching, uh, what was it? I think Fellowship. Alexa was over here, but I had already been like an hour and a half into it, and she was kind of like going in and out of falling asleep because she was tired. But she was very into it, and she really <laughs> wanted to watch it. So probably at some point, I will sit down and I'll watch each one with her, and I'm going to show her the extended editions because they're better, and that's going to be a lot. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. The um, I do recall. It's funny that you bring that up of watching it all in one day. I do remember having this aspiration to do something like that, specifically with the Lord of the Rings movies, because the extended editions are, yeah, they're iconic as these massive. I mean, the, in terms of like director cuts and whatnot, it's just a yeah. lot of 
extra stuff for the fans to enjoy. Apparently, you're also pointing out there's a lot of essential stuff in there too. There is um, some, yeah. There looks, there's like some scenes where I'm like, why did you cut this? This is like actually important to part of the story. And it's right, very okay. odd. Specifically yeah. this scene in Return of the King, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they feel like those like definitive editions. But yeah, that idea of watching it all in one sitting and fully being yeah, immersed into the world for one, but then also you have such alignment with Frodo and these characters that are on this journey. You feel so spent at the end of it. I've always wanted to do that um i will do it with you because that sounds like not now because we just watched them but like maybe sure. like spring or something in some time but that yeah at some point in my life thrilling. i do want to do it it reminds me of this time where i think it was around the same time because uh the schools were closed and spencer was the only roommate in his uh apartment at the time so it was just him alone in this big uh student housing apartment kind of thing and i went over and him and i pulled an all-nighter and we watched like five movies back to back like Crazy. from like from like 9 p.m to like 6 a.m and it was awesome i miss doing shit like that dude mm-hmm. just watching back to back to back it was so cool we bought like coffees to stay awake like these the little ice cop starbucks ice coffees that you gave we bought a bunch of snacks and stuff what a what a great experience that was so much fun mm-hmm I right, want to do yeah. that again one day. One day where I don't have work the next day. Just do an all-nighter and watch a bunch of movies. It's so much fun. Movies that you've never seen. Indeed, yeah. But that was my, yeah, my vision as a kid was like, oh, yeah, staying up all night, eating, mm-hmm. like, ice cream or specifically icing, like, frosting, which now I'm like, we can leave that part out of it. But, yeah, as a kid, I was like, that would be, what a great thing to do. Just stay up all so night watching fun. these movies, eating whatever you want. Dude, get pizzas so cool. and popcorn, just, just totally pig out and watch movies. That is like that is like the dream. Just pulling all nighter. I, I haven't pulled an all nighter in three years, man. We should do it, Ryan. We should do an episode where we I talk where we pull an all nighter and we talk about it on the episode, like the experience of it. That'd be so much fun. It would be. I didn't start pulling all nighters until two years ago. Oh shit. Crazy. Yeah. You ate a tub of icing two years ago? No, 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 no. I was saying as a kid, that was like the vision was to pull the all-nighter watching like a film series like this and then eat icing because, I mean, I was a sweet tooth. I was like, yeah, that's the that's the perfect night. But no, in terms of the all-nighter I was pulling, no, it wasn't me eating icing or watching movies. It was being on set on an overnight. Oh, <laughs> it was yeah. my first all-nighter. Because before that, I had been pretty particular about like, oh, I'm always going to like go to bed and never stay up all the way through. Um, and I stuck to that until until that overnight. It's fun. And then to do since then I pulled a know. few overnights or yeah, we did that at one of our parties. We did, yeah. That was Those fun. Those are two instances of our parties where I stayed up all night, one of which was when I called you when you were <laughs> waking oh up God, to go to dude. work. <laughs> that was funny. Um, but yeah, and then another one where I was working, I was like trying to finish not essay. It was for my research project. I was trying to finish like the citation stuff for it. I was like, I'm not going to bed until I finish. And I didn't finish until the sun came up. And I was like, oh. But yeah, I would love to be able to choose to have an all-nighter where we're watching these just, movies. It would be fun. It would be a great experience. Be, though? What movies would we watch? Because Harry Potter's too long. We could do Star yeah. Wars. The Star Wars trilogy would be cool. Mm-hmm. That would be a really sure. fun all-nighter. Valley true. Very, Let's very get true. back to Lord of the Rings because we kind of we kind of diverge pretty intensely there. Indeed. So yeah, Fellowship so, of the Ring, yeah. theatrical yeah. version. So 
starting out with the prologue where you get all that exposition, our entry into the world. And it is still good. It's great. I mean, you're able to merge like all the visual stuff with the actual narration that's going on um, delivered by Kate Blanchett. And it is fantastic. It truly does immerse you into the world from the get go. It doesn't like rattle off all the history that's there, but it gives you the bare essentials of what you need. But there's always that understanding that there's so much more here. There's a whole lot of depth to this world that I'm being brought into and does a great job of establishing the ring itself mm-hmm. and how that is like the principal antagonistic force. Because what, what other uh, like film series or even film do you start out with where you see the big bad Sauron getting defeated? So we yeah. already know like he can be defeated. He's uh, fallible. But this ring was not able to be defeated. It carried on and it is essentially the thing that we'll have to be fighting um like that physical manifestation of sauron sure but more so it's the embodiment of power and lust and greed and trying to fight back against those forces so so many good moments bro i love when elrond goes cast it into the fire Mm -hmm. and then and then what is his name uh isildur isildur is like no and he just walks away and elrond Mm -hmm. does nothing he just lets him walk away I know you're just standing there it's at the great. edge of the like cliff, yeah. right over the it fire. Also, is a good setup because like now we know where it's going to end. It's going to end in this spot. Mm-hmm. We have a very good vision of like where we're trying to go. Like it's not like we're trying to get to this place. And we have no idea what it is, what it's going to look like. Like they said it. In, they said the beginning in the end. Like this is what it's going to look like when we get there. Two movies later, Indeed. which is awesome. Which is another great uh, reason, or just another benefit mm-hmm. of them having all three films greenlit at the same time as they could film a lot of that stuff and understand where they were going. So they could put in setups mm-hmm. and have those obvious payoffs uh, a little later. So they, mm-hmm. yeah, they were able to leverage that really well. Yeah. Um, and then also being able to leverage like when they give us that exposition, because that didn't appear in the like prologue prologue, did it? Where we saw Elrond? Cause didn't that come later in the movie when Elrond was like talking about, Oh, you're right. The that does happen later. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, even that of like being uh, judicious think, about yeah. when they give us those snippets of information, because I'm sure that mm-hmm. was filmed for the prologue. But then they're like, oh, do we need to have it here? Maybe let's save it for later on when yeah, like, Elrond is reflecting like, on it. Yeah. We don't want you to know the true power of the ring until we get there, because it just says the ring took hold of him and then it cuts to him and he's on a horse mm-hmm. like some years later with the ring. And so, like, they're holding information of, like, how powerful that ring is until you get to that meeting of Elrond's council. And he's revealing, like, this is an incredibly powerful object and only only a hobbit can carry it. Indeed. But uh, this, this prologue has, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut in here, it has the first distinction between the extended edition and the oh, really? uh, regular that I, I think shouldn't have been cut out. There is uh, the first chapter of The Hobbit is called Concerning Hobbits. And it's literally just a chapter where uh, J.R.R. Tolkien explains what hobbits are and like what their habits are, what they like to eat, things like that. And the extended edition, it starts with like, it cuts from that prologue to an insert of Bill of Bag End, like just going through the hallways. And that's where the title card is, is in this hallway scene. And then it cur- turns a corner and it's Bilbo writing his book. And then mm-hmm. it's a, like a five minute narration where he's he's writing the first chapter and it's concerning hobbits. 
and he's just talking about what hobbits are and it just cuts to all these different extras just doing hobbit things like playing outside cooking food drinking beer i think it's just a great way to like set that setting of the shire to like start with that but in the theatrical version it immediately cuts to frodo and he's laying in the field and that's where the title card is and then gandalf shows up like i feel like it it like cuts too heavy because when you're you do this thing and like Bilbo's doing the narration, he's talking about hobbits, and it ends on a very sweet note, and then it cuts to Frodo, and it just like it like it lets you sink in a little bit more about who Frodo is, and I kind of like that more. So that was disappointing to see that they cut that out. Gotcha. Yeah, and that goes to, I guess that would help build up more of the Shire and our attachment mm-hmm. to it and to the hobbits that live in it, um, because that's another. Mm-hmm. Thing that I was on it the also, lookout for. Yeah, it also helps define what the hobbits are more. Like it literally tells you like the kind of people they are, what they like to do, and how they're simple folk who just like to drink beer, have fun, farm, eat, and relax, and they don't do crazy things. And like it, it like really sets in stone what they are. Because in the true. extent, if you don't read the books and you don't really know what hobbits are, they're just little creatures that live in holes and they're tiny. Like that's all you know really about them. And then mm-hmm. you learn what they are as the series goes on, as opposed to getting that impression right away. Right. Which maybe, I mean, I'd imagine they both part work, of that was... But I think yeah. the extended... Because it's like, I think the idea was like, we could cut it because it works. Like, you'll learn at Hobbits as it goes along and it'll be fine. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's four hours. we got to cut it down to three hours. Something's got to go. <laughs> but I still, I just, I like it more as like an introduction to the actual story to start with the hobbits in the shire i think it's sweet i mean yeah i can understand that i would imagine they probably both for time reasons but also because you can probably pick up on that sense of like who the hobbits are and their sensibilities and their culture and whatnot through just the time that we do have with them uh in the theatrical cut instead of having that like narrated to us so maybe Mm -hmm. it was part of that of them being like oh we can just show it more instead of like having it be told from bilbo's perspective and giving that like rendition of here's what they are. So you don't have like the Lord of the Rings prologue and then the Hobbit prologue back to back. That's probably why they decided to do that. Um, But I still think it works. Like you do get that attachment to the Shire because they're able to see like how they do just live very Mm -hmm. simple community focused lives. Um, They have that big celebration for Bilbo which is um, one of my favorite scenes, sequences in the entire series is just because it's all except for the fireworks. It's all just practical and they're putting in so much work to really sell this party scene. And there's just so many little details that are just gorgeous. I love the entire Shire set that they built. I really want to go visit it one day. It's so cool. For sure. Yeah. So I think that does a really good job of yeah, getting us uh, to be invested in this this race this place that they're living in the shire yeah it's just the way they're able to convey it it just feels like it's very wholesome innocent place that you'd love to spend time in um and so yeah i think it is able to be successful in terms of that um and then we get the bilbo putting on the ring and disappearing and then we're able to jump into that storyline um but i think they spend 30 minutes i believe in a theatrical cut in the Shire, maybe slightly more um, before we end up leaving that. I think it's close to the same in the extended edition. I think most of the additions come in as they're on their journey. Gotcha. So yeah, it does a good job of yeah building at that time. And that's the like ordinary world part of mm-hmm. the story. And so of course we 
want to be able to have uh, a good amount of time there if the whole film is going to be like three hours and the whole series is going to be nine plus hours um yeah. you want to be able to and, you know spend enough it's time about hobbits yeah if it's about exactly. hobbits you want to establish who they are you know and i think it does a really good job i think it's a great intro like you really care for the hobbits and the shire that they have that little haven of like the the exact opposite of more to this haven of like safety and simplicity and mm -hmm. like wholeheartedness and you care about it and you don't want the evil of Mordor reaching it as you get closer and closer to Mordor and things are more violent. You don't want that to reach the Shire because you care so much about it. Exactly. And then another thing to point out about like the showing the ring's power is Gandalf. We're seeing this wizard figure. We already see like some of what he's able to do like with the fireworks and whatnot. And he's already coming off of this very wise figure. And when the ring is dropped onto the ground by Bilbo when he's like finally able to have him release it. Gandalf almost goes to pick it up, but then doesn't because he knows how corrupting that force is. And so he doesn't even touch it, doesn't even reach out for it, doesn't pick it up. Instead, like goes and sits off somewhere else when Frodo comes in and he picks it up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I thought like that was that, another uh, great point. Yeah, I like that in the lore, Gandalf is one of the wisest beings ever to live and even he like when frodo asks him to take the ring even he feels tempted to take like when uh when he comes back from his research and they burn it and they see that it is the one true ring he's tempted to take it when frodo asks him to take it and he has to be strong and say no do not tempt me mm -hmm. yeah for sure and then of course in the shire we get a lot of that with gandalf and frodo and whatnot we get a lot of the forest perspective shots oh, so awesome. all of that works really well um again just that filmmaking magic to make the hobbits all seem like short yeah. little guys my favorite um, shots are the ones where they're actually kids because it's like a long it's like a wide shot that's really <laughs> far away but you can kind of tell that they're kids and they just look so cute mm -hmm. yeah I, I did see because i was looking for some of that of being like oh i wonder when like their backs are turned if i can pick out when they're doubles mm -hmm. and yeah there are some times where you can tell that um but yeah a lot of great filmmaking tricks going on there um, in terms of the other special effects and whatnot, I thought the orc factory where they're like creating things and also like pumping out the orcs themselves yeah. um, over at Isengard, I thought that looked really good as well. That's one Especially, of my favorite bits too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just so awesome because you, you get to Isengard in this beautiful foresty castle and then you have the cool the cool old man fight between Saruman and, <laughs> and Gandalf, which I really like. I think it's goofy, but I like it a lot. It is goofy for sure. I put that in there. I was like, it's some still, old school goofiness. Yeah, it's still definitely pretty intense. Like when he, like the shot where he's like spinning around in a circle and Saruman is out of speech with, with both of the staffs as he's going towards him, then he throws them up. Mm -hmm. I thought it was, pretty, I think it's still pretty cool. I thought that but part I was good the, for sure. But the other yeah. parts were, yeah, a little goofy. I love that the follow-up is he very quickly destroys Isengard and turns it into this fortress of, like, production. He turns mm -hmm. the wood into metal, as he says, and, like, just totally tears it down. I think it's just so well done, and it looks awesome. Tearing the Uruk-Ai from the, the ground and, like, ripping off all that phlegm stuff on them and then painting <laughs> the white hand of Sauron, Saruman on them. Oh, it's just so cool. For sure, yeah. That's great. And then also great. the... Yeah, like the very dynamic, like sort of aerial looking mm -hmm. um, camera moves that they were doing as well as we're like entering into the um, like cavern of the factory going mm -hmm. beneath the surface. Oh, dude. And all that stuff is really good. It's just, I was, yeah. I was like, wow, 
that's stuff that uh, it really holds up. And it mm-hmm. does better the than visual a lot effects, of... Yeah, the visual effects look really good. The stylization of what that factory looks like looked really good. And the sound mm-hmm. design sells it. The sound design, oh, the last sure. nail in the coffin, that nail, like the, all the sounds of the metal clanging and the orcs screaming along with the, like the music blending in. Mm-hmm. It does the last bit that sells that whole sequence. And it just looks awesome. Absolutely. I also think the, the I don't know exactly how to describe it, but you know, the sort of haze that comes up when he's in the wraith world i don't know what the actual term is for it but yes. whenever frodo puts yeah. on the ring mm-hmm. and he goes into that world and everything's like sort of wispy and like that and he's is like another a little, he's like slowed down a little bit as he's like mm-hmm. stumbling around and all the sound is very much like muffled except for his noises so it sounds like his like his footsteps echo a little bit mm-hmm. that really sells like the what the world like that's a very specific way to detail the fact that he's invisible and it's really well done yeah 100 percent. so that was another just great way to again i don't know how it's described in the books or whatnot but a great mm-hmm. visual translation of that i'm sure um because it is very fantastical but as you said it's conveying like this very sort of scary wraith world whatever that mm-hmm. thing is actually called um and then it's also conveying how frodo is being affected by it and being slowed down a bit all the sounds being muffled and whatnot mm-hmm. so yeah a great um way to showcase that visually and then the other like special effect that I'm just amazed, like the visual effect rather, the CGI of the Balrog, Dude, that thing great. holds up perfectly. Like it truly looks like something that could have been made in a film that came mm-hmm. out this year. It looks I think better a lot than of CGI the, in a lot of the films yeah. that are coming out this year. A lot of the budget went to that Balrog, I'm sure, and they really do a good job of like hiding it until it's perfectly necessary to see the whole thing at once, mm-hmm. and they definitely don't overshow it. Because I think they want to limit the amount of shots that it's in so that they can really like hammer down on the few shots that it is in. And then on top of that, the added lighting to the scene, like the, the practical parts of the scene, the sets and the characters and the actors and all that, the added fire lighting when you're doing shots of like reaction shots adds to the fact that this Balrog is just inflamed. And it's mm-hmm. just, it, like it all blends together perfectly well. Absolutely. So yeah, that stuff is great. Another thing to point out with, uh, there's so many characters in this film um, that we got to get introduced to. And so with mm-hmm. some of them, like Emily and Legolas, we're able to sort of just understand them very clearly in terms of their archetypes with mm-hmm. the race that they belong to, being a dwarf, yeah. being an elf. Um, but with Aragorn, as we're introduced to him, Strider, we have to understand him fairly early on mm-hmm. since he's going to be such a massive character that goes throughout the rest of the, the series. And his mm-hmm. introduction, where initially we're unsure of who this person is, we know that he looks so cool. Yeah, we know that the Baggins are like being looked for, and we see this mm-hmm. man, this hooded figure, smoking like a pipe or something, and we have the like flame from that carrying up. Then it cuts to that like close up of just his eyes, and you can barely oh, see dude. anything but just the twinkle in his eyes, and it's like, oh, that's so good. What a great he way to look. So introduce fucking him. cool, bro. He does, and it's at that point too. Uh, if you're in the like first watch through and you don't know who this guy is, but he's certainly mysterious, certainly looks cool. Um, and you're just wondering what's going on with this guy. Hopefully he's on our side. And thankfully he is. So it was a great introduction to him. Um, and then, you know, shortly thereafter we see him saving Frodo or just basically bring him to a different room once he puts on the ring uh, and disappears in full view of everyone else. So that was super cool. 
his entrance, fantastic. What a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And then later on, well, the whole Nazgul thing as well. They were also well done. Yeah. They're like chill screams, very terrifying. Yeah, the way that they like just approach, and also mm-hmm. them being on like horses as well. Just yeah, something very the whole look of them that look of death and horrifying. is very cool. And like mm-hmm. the armor they have on their hands is cool. Dude, when they knock down the gate and just crush the gatekeeper, I know I couldn't believe that part. I was like, brutal. The horses trampling over it as they come into the city. Oh, that was rough. Poor uh, innkeeper. Yeah. It's just yeah, so, so that's cool. great. Uh, and then over in Rivendell, once we have that uh, happen, Frodo wakes up from getting stabbed or something. He was like able to be saved by Arwen. Um, we get the fellowship getting established, an iconic scene. Mm-hmm. We get the whole... That one classic meme, one does not simply walk into Mordor. Perfect. From Boromir. You love to see it. And you have all of them arguing about who's going to take up the ring. And that's another great shot of Frodo, him saying it. He's drowned out the first like two times. And then finally everyone quiets and listens as he says, I will take the ring. And you see Gandalf's reaction to it because he knows it like has to be done. That's the only way for it to get done. But. It means putting Frodo in yeah. the greatest risk possible, not just like externally, but also internally. Like we know the corrupting force. Mm-hmm. I, Gandalf does at that point of how much it can corrupt somebody. And uh, knowing that Frodo has to take that on, mm-hmm. tragic. But, but like, he doesn't have to do it alone. What a great shot, though, of like the close up on the ring and they're all fighting, but their reflections in the ring. Oh, my God. And like you can hear the whispering of the voice of the ring. Oh, my God. And mm-hmm. then Frodo's staring at it and he knows that it's corrupting everybody and he has to be the one to take it. Oh, my God. So well done. So exactly. Well done. Yeah. And then they all come together to triumph over the ring and they say, we will join you. You have my bow and my axe and my sword. So good. You love to see it. And then that was at like the midpoint of the film. And then we have them off on their adventure. The score kicks in the big Lord of the Rings theme, the fellowship theme mm-hmm. kicks into its highest gear. It's amazing. It's fantastic. And then after that, we have them going to a few different locations and that sense of adventure really kicks in. Oh, yeah. It's just hitting up these hotspots in this fantasy world. Um, and with them ending up going into Moria and we see like this fallen decayed city uh that they're exploring and we also know that there's this big threat since saruman wants gandalf to go there gandalf doesn't want to go there um and then i thought it was interesting he makes frodo choose he's like frodo you got to be the one to decide how we're going to go around it gandalf maybe could have alerted him to what is in moria and why he would be a little bit scared of going down there you can just have Frodo say, oh, do you want to keep going? Because what were the options? Like keep going over the mountain or? No, it was to go around the mountain, which would take longer or to go under the mountain. Because right. they couldn't go they couldn't go over the mountain because uh, Sauron's voice was causing avalanches. Right. Which is awesome. It's <laughs> a good way to put it. Yeah. And bringing lightning down onto the. Yeah. So they could mountaintop. only either go around it into the plains of Gondor. Or the plains of Rohan, which they do anyway, or they could go under the mines of Moria. And gotcha. uh, Frodo chooses the mines because it would be a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. Again, should have put pointed out like what was waiting for them in Moria. But well, that's yeah, the thing and- is Gandalf doesn't even know; he just feels an evil in there. But he does; he's not even sh- all sure what it would be. 
Is that true? I thought he knew specifically like the, uh, the Balrog was in there. I don't think he knows specifically that there is a Balrog. I think he knows that the dwarves dug too deep and un- unleashed something. And then he, right. he, he goes, so maybe it's just something that he knows. But even then being like, hmm. He just knows that they dug too something deep. Something was released. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, that leads to them getting attacked by the orcs, first of all. And then the whole troll thing goes down. And then mm-hmm. as they're trying to make their escape, that's when the Balrog comes out. Um, Epic. And that was a great scene as well, particularly when they get to that like big open cavern and there's mm-hmm. those steps, those like staircases oh that are God, falling dude. apart. Just a great way to just escalate the obstacles that they're facing by having the Balrog come behind you. Oh. You have archers shooting down on you and you have the crumbling staircase that you're trying to move forward on. Dude, the shot, going on. Of, the shot of that one section of staircase that crumbles and falls after they all jump off of it, like when it leans forward and Frodo and Aragorn are able to jump off of it and they do the wide shot where it's like mm-hmm. going around the staircase and the stairs are falling off of it. That shot is so iconic that they recreated it beat for beat in the Lego Lord of the Rings video game. <laughs> you, can, you can find that shot in 100% Lego because they it was so iconic. They recreated it entirely. It's a great shot. It is just that staircase crumbling with the music going it's awesome agreed and then we get the iconic line of you shall not pass it's so awesome it's gotta be top 10 movie quotes of all time just the build-up to it and Mm -hmm. ian mckellen's commitment bro yeah ian mckellen's so good in this film like rewatching it this time i'm like i'm amazed at how and this goes like oscar nomination for it but yeah even like that's incredible there should have been more acting nominations, I think, towards the end of the series as well. I agree. Um, but this is, I'm glad that he was able to get recognized at least yeah. for one of the films um, with a nomination. But yeah, that stuff was incredible. And then as the Balrog's like falling down and you see his whip of flame come up and like grab Gandalf, oh, that's so good. Because at that point, you think, all right, we exactly. did it. That was an incredible, yep. amazing cinematic movie moment. And then just at the last second, he gets taken by that whip oh he gets bodied bro oof that's rough <laughs> does and he goes fly you fools and then and then dies falls off and um dies. yeah are you so <laughs> the eagle theory are you aware of that i do not sure subscribe to the eagle theory you don't subscribe he says, to it? he says <laughs> earlier in the scene as they're running from the ball rock he also says fly you fools again as in just hurry up and let's go oh he does Interesting. he does he says it again earlier he goes fly you fools and they keep running curious but yeah that's the thing of oh why didn't they just use the eagles do you have a an idea of why they didn't use eagles there's a reason in the book oh there is i haven't gotten to that part i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure it's like the eagles didn't because they're they're sentient beings i think the thing is the eagles did not want to be involved because it's Mm -hmm. dangerous they didn't want to fly you into mordor because they would die and then when it seems clear like the only the only time they get involved is to save uh gandalf in the beginning and then uh, not until the end to save frodo and sam because at that point the danger is gone sauron has been defeated they can fly into mordor and they will not get hurt like the eagles aren't going to put themselves in danger until they know that sauron has been defeated and they do that and because they're like friends with gandalf and they're like nah we're not going to do that so no i do not subscribe to the eagle theory so they save him if he was to say fly you fools how the fuck would they get hold of the eagles (laughs) if they're only friends with gandalf what gandalf is now dead like what come on i agree but yeah that is an interesting question of why 
the eagles would save him from Isengard. I think it's just out of pure not. respect. <laughs> They're like, we'll do this they... one standoff, but don't get used to it, okay? Everybody gets one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we have his death, and then they come out. Then a great uh, score kicks in as they're all mourning. Mm-hmm. And then they have to keep going. I thought that was a great scene as well when everyone's like, all right, y'all, let's go. And Boromir's like, give them a minute. Like, come on. These hills will be covered on orcs in a moment. Die. Exactly. So they well, Viggo Mortensen's accent kills me sometimes. The way he <laughs> says things. Because, you know, he's really trying with that British accent. He does a really good job. But every once in a while when he's saying something loud, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. The hills will be covered in orcs in a moment. We must continue. <laughs> so, yeah. We have that. Um, and then as we go towards the end of the film and they meet, um, what is it, Lothlorien is the city they go to yep. with Galadriel and whatnot. I like yeah. that they continue to reinforce the idea of the ring being that like great temptation, that embodiment of power. Um, and so we even have that scene where Galadriel's like giving all the gifts and whatnot. And then later on is talking with Jess Frodo. Um, and then he offers the ring and she... <laughs> goes goblin mode basically goes into that green ghost and then is like talking about i will become the queen of the world i will be the queen of the world oh will bow to me so we get that he just slowly closes the ring to his palm he's like never mind yeah um yeah also a little goofy but uh, i do like how afterwards she's like oh like oh at least i passed the test like it didn't take it because even she is tempted to mm-hmm. use all that power and then wanting to start out using it for good, but of course knowing it'll yeah. corrupt everything. So again, they is do there a little... scene where she gives them their gifts? She gives Frodo explicitly. Apparently, I guess she gives gifts to everyone. We only see, yeah. I think, just Frodo's. Okay, this is another thing that happens. In the extended edition, before they canoe out, there's a long scene where she's giving them all their gifts. She gives Sam the rope that he has, like the strong elven rope. She gives Frodo the 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 tear. Like what they do is they'll cut back every once in a while and show what it is she gave them to mm-hmm. make more sense. But in the original thing, it shows them her giving everybody a gift, and like she gives them all the little uh, leaf clips that does something that they don't even elaborate it at the time. And uh, bro, there there's a very funny bit where they're giving the Lembus bread and they explain what the Lembus <laughs> bread is. And Legolas is like, they're, uh, Mary and Paper are holding like, what is this? This isn't food. And Legolas is like, it's Lumbus bread. One bite is enough to satisfy a man's stomach for days. And and Mary looks at Pippin and goes, how many have you eaten? And Pippin goes, seven. <laughs> that is good. Um, but they, yeah, they uh, didn't show that. They didn't show it. I guess it's not completely wild. necessary, but like, there's no explanation as to what the rope is that Sam has, the one that he ties Gollum up with. It's an elven rope that's incredibly strong, and that's why it's burning Gollum's skin. Right. They don't really explain that explicitly. They only explain the gifts that Frodo gets, the little drops of the elven water or whatever. And, yeah, that light up. Yeah. And some um, other stuff, yeah. That's it. Interesting. But yeah, I guess, again, of the things you could cut, I guess that was more of a like comedic scene. And the only ones that really come into play are like the rope. But you could imagine, oh, it's just mm-hmm. they have a rope on the journey, which is sort of believable. As for the like tears, one that light up, since that's they, more of they a fantastical thing. Later, yeah. yeah, they have to sort of set that up. Um, but like everybody gets something like Legolas and Gimli get something and Aragorn gets something. And I don't remember what they are, but it is like a good scene where like they're all lined up and she's 
bestowing them gifts okay. for their journey. Like it's like to me, it's like showing the support of the elves, Indeed. which I thought was important. Even yeah. though you know they do give them canoes and stuff, but still, sure. But yeah, also, so... great shots of them canoeing, bro. <laughs> and those rivers, you were so or... right. It was amazing to see that, and then them passing the big old statues as well. Mm-hmm. And they were getting into the city. Yeah, fantastic. You're right. I mean, it just gives that sense of scale. The fact that it's like mm-hmm. an epic journey through a fantastical world. So good. So then yeah. after that, Galadriel also during her gift getting gives some advice and some wisdom to Frodo of saying, hey, watch out. The fellowship is fracturing. It's already beginning. He will try to take the ring. And Frodo later on. Uh, after the whole canoe bit and whatnot, he's like going through the woods and then Boromir follows him and Boromir tries to take the ring. Mm-hmm. So that Thoughts he can... on Boromir? So I like Boromir. I love the like purpose of his character to show like, yeah, that temptation is wearing down on like all the members of the Fellowship, not just Frodo. And then with one mm-hmm. particular person, it falls apart first. And so he goes after the ring. Um, and then I particularly love the way that he's immediately like remorseful once the temptation is taken away, Mm -hmm. he's apologetic. And then he sacrifices himself to save other members of the fellowship, just Merry and Pippin, two other hobbits that again, aren't like essential, essential in the same way Frodo would be, but he's still giving his life for them, which is a great testament to like him belonging to this fellowship, doing what he can for all the members of it. Mm -hmm. So I love that part. Um, I'd imagine in the extended edition, there's more to Boromir that we get, um, which would make our like connection to him and to his fall and to his mm-hmm. redemption even more powerful. I think it works yeah. in the theatrical version for sure, but is there more meat to it in the extended? I can't remember. Nothing of, <laughs> nothing of big substance. I just feel pity for Boromir. I feel like, pity. you know, they just, they definitely go from what I've read into more detail of his character in the books where they describe like, how Gondor is failing and he is the last line of the Gondor is the last line of defense or the first line of defense against Mordor. And so like they're constantly getting raided by orcs and Denethor isn't a good leader and his people are dying and he feels like the ring is the thing that will save them. And Mm -hmm. so like there's more substantial like proof of like him using his ego of like, I can, I can conquer the rings temptation and I will use it for good. And that sort of pity of like, you're not, coming at it objectively of like this thing will poison you and your ego is getting in the way but he like does ultimately like understand that and like sacrifice himself of course so i just i feel pity for boromir that he was tempted because of his own ego and because of the the power of the ring mm-hmm. that's the thing that they like they kind of skirt along in the movies where they go into more detail in the books from what i understand is like the the appeal of the ring to men is using its power for good, not knowing that it will corrupt you the more you use it. Right. Because men's ego is what brings them down. Like that's their downfall. And like, that's why the Hobbit, that's why Frodo the Hobbit is like the best person to carry the ring is because he has no temptation to use it until it corrupts him a lot by the end of the Return of the King, but he has no temptation to use its power. He only wishes to destroy it because his ego is much more in check mm. which i think is a very fascinating sort of bit of that ring 
Gotcha. And I wish they, I understand they have to, like, they can't get into everything and they do touch upon it with Boromir's character, but I wish they went and they touch upon it more with Faramir's character in two towers, but I wish they right. dug more in, but you know, it's still good. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but yeah, so then we have the fracturing of the fellowship, the orcs come in and attack mm-hmm. and then we see Frodo, um, or I guess right before that, like right when they're about to come, Aragorn goes to Frodo and basically gives him the release to go off and finish the journey on his own. Um, and I think that's like a really interesting way to close out this first mm-hmm. film um, yeah. by having it be Frodo, like essentially leaving the fellowship because he knows partially for like the quest, it's better if they're not together. Cause at some point they're all going to turn on him or fall to the ring and try and take it. Um, but also because he cares about these people. And so he doesn't want them to like be corrupted and, fall in the same way that Boromir does. Um, and so he wants to carry the burden by himself so that it doesn't tarnish any of his friends. So I think yeah. it's a very fascinating way to like force that decision and force Frodo to have to like break off and allow mm-hmm. the fellowship to like split off and begin their two uh, simultaneous uh, plot lines that mm-hmm. we'll get in the following films. Um, yeah. So that's great. And I also like, again, we have Aragorn is tempted with the ring like Frodo is holding it out and everyone's coming closer, but uh, he's able to overcome that and just close Frodo's hands over the ring. Um, So again, that great uh, back and forth of like all these characters that are so strong and impressive in so many ways, like Gandalf, Gladriel, Aragorn, they're all tempted by the ring. Um, And so that also reaffirms to us like, oh yeah, Frodo, if he were to continue on this mission with the rest of the fellowship, Mm -hmm. it's only going to get worse from there. The, tempta- the temptation is only going to grow greater. And so he has to leave for their sake and for the sake of the mission. Um, and then as he's doing so, as he's about to flee on those canoes, we get Sam rushing to the riverside, Epic. trying to join Frodo. Frodo's already like rowing out and Sam rushes into the water. He can't swim, but he's, <laughs> he's letting Frodo know, I will not let you go alone. Um, and Frodo has to save him, bring him up onto the boat. And ah, such a good scene as well. Like, you truly believe in their friendship and in Sam's loyalty to Frodo um, mm-hmm. as he's pointing out, like, oh, your mission is to, like, get the ring to Mordor, but my mission, my promise, was to not let you out of my sight. Like, I am here to protect you. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. So good. You love to yeah. see it. And one last thing before we move on, bro, in the fight scene in the forest, when they're fighting all the Urukai that have showed up, dude, mm-hmm. the wonder they do where it's like they're fighting on top of the hill and then it carries on following the orcs running down through the staircase and then overhead to the little oh, valley yeah, yeah, yeah. in the hills. Oh, my God, dude. Talk about a <laughs> shot. Oh, my God. It's so good. It oh, it's right. amazing. So many extras. So much effort. Great shot. The way they follow the Urukai running just works on every level and it's epic with the music and everything oh god so good agreed and then Boromir's death is brutal it is and they gave him a good uh like parting speech as well yeah which is fantastic him like saying oh i believe in you aragorn my brother my king yeah fantastic Uh, and i also love the way they ended off even though like the fellowship is broken we still leave on a positive note of aragorn and gimli and legolas they're going to go after Merry and Pippin mm-hmm. and Frodo and Sam. They're like now off on their That's missions. So. 
exactly so yeah we're still left on like okay the journey is continuing we have our missions and we're gonna still continue um even though we are doing it separately now still leaves it off on a nice positive note um with a good uh a good substance to look forward to in the next film yeah i agree all right now we're into the next film oh wait how many rings of power out of five do you rate fellowship of the ring are any of these gonna be below five let's be honest no, they're not going to be below five. They're yeah, they're five. all going to be five out of five. For like Fellowship and Two Towers, I could go between like 4.5 and five, but the feeling like being the fives. complete immersion into like the world that we're going in, um, it's just so powerful. And the overall story itself, like all the themes that they're tackling, these like larger than life characters, but you still relate to them and their journey and their heroism. It's just so good. Like it's, it brings you all the feels that you want to feel. It's amazing. So I'll, I'll certainly give this one fellowship a five, um, and yeah, all the rest of them are gonna be a five as well. Yeah, and they're very consistent as well. Like I wouldn't say that any one film is, um, like far and away above any of the other yeah. ones. It feels like one big story that they cut out. I have a favorite exactly. One. So yeah, I think we'll we're gonna have different favorites. Interesting. We'll talk about that at the very end. Um, but yeah, so Lord of the Rings, the two towers. Oh yeah. We have, uh, which by the way, crazy. This film came out in 2002, mm. and they had it, the two towers, right after 9-11. Yeah, I was, I read somewhere that they went, in Return of the King, when Sauron's eye collapses, they went into very specific detail to I make also it not was thinking look of like, <laughs> to make it not look like the Twin Towers falling. Like, they made it crumble from beneath and dissolve and then collapse into itself instead of, like, what the Twin Towers did. Like, they were, like, very careful to make it not look like that. Yeah, I was. That was definitely something I was thinking about as they were doing that. I was like, yeah, they had to be careful with how they uh, how they made it crumble. Yeah, what um, a coincidence! Indeed. So yeah, These the titles. two towers. You know what's funny uh, about that title? What's that? In the movie, they say the two towers are Isengard and the Eye of Sauron, but they don't really make a reference to that in the book, and that's because at the time, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien wanted this should be one big story, but he had to break it into three books. And so he's writing the second book and he can't come up with a title. And the publishers are like, you got to name it something so we can release it. And he's like, fuck it. I don't know. The Two Towers. So there's really <laughs> there's really no reason it's called that. And then the movie just makes the connection of like, let's just make it the Eye of Sauron and Isengard, Sauron and Saruman working together. That's what you can right. call it. But there's there's multiple towers in these books. You know, there's That's Minas Tirith. There's Minas Morgul. There's uh, Helm's Deep. There's like there's many towers. That's true. But it's also, well, because the towers themselves i think have actual names as well because isengard is like the city right but that's not what saruman's tower is called or is well, isengard it? isn't a city Ising well, well it's like isengard place. is i don't know what it is is this big tower it's an that, area well it's like is, the, it's is it called is the tower called isengard though i don't know if it is i mean that's well, at least in the movie that's all it is is one big tower in a forest like right I, so isengard is that true but anyway, the yeah, Eye of so Sauron is indeed a tower. But then there's also Minas Tirith, which is a tower, and Minas Morgul, which is also a tower. I suppose, so, you know. but they are more of cities, right? I suppose you could make that argument, but they have very tower-like appearances. They do, but I would they're, definitely classify they're, they're them more as they're, they're vertically structured, if you will. That is true. There's a lot of yeah vertical structures up in uh, Lord of the Rings. Got to save space, I guess. Don't want to expand too much into nature. Indeed. So we have Frodo. And Sam, they finally meet Gollum in this film. He was teased in the previous one. He was mentioned, but mm. now we see Gollum in his full glory. And That's again, time. the 
like motion capture technology on Andy Serkis's face. It mm, looks great. So good. Like it's it obviously like- you can tell the CGI um, at this point is like a little dated, but even then, it it works because there's still a lot of motion that's able to be conveyed in his face. So really good stuff. Um, and I do like how the relationship between like Frodo, Sam, and Gollum, how Sam just immediately sees them as this uh, little devious being that's just coming along and is going to mess mm-hmm. things up. Uh, whereas Frodo is wants to believe that Gollum can be good and normal, like can be mm-hmm. Smeagol again. Yeah. It's pure evil, Mr. Frodo. We have to kill him. <laughs> and Frodo's no, like, Sam, no. I pity him. Yeah, he does pity him because, and he also empathizes with him because he's one of the only other people that are alive that understand what he's going through as a ring bearer. Um, And so he's like, if this person is truly corrupted, then what does that mean for me? So he needs to believe in the fact that Gollum can become Smeagol again, can be good, can be normal so that he believes at the end of this, he'll be okay. So I really love how they set that up. I think it's a brilliant way to um, introduces like the conflict in their relationship, like causing that little rift between Frodo and Sam um, and having the character of Gollum serve as this nice foil to Frodo. Um, and then all the stuff with his split personality, like Gollum and Smeagol as they're having that conversation while Frodo and Sam are asleep. I think all that works really well. Um, so yeah, we also get the return of Gandalf. Now Gandalf the White. Badass. Dude, I Indeed. think it's crazy when he's like, every day was a human lifetime in this afterlife. And then they're like, Gandalf. He's like, yes, that was my name. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I'm like, he is. damn, you're really hammering that point home. <laughs> he's really, he's really evolved. He has, he's changed. And he's also, I guess, like forgotten things about his previous life as well. Yeah, like his name. <laughs> but he's still generally um, the same. I do love the, the twist what he's they do, to do. They try to make you think it is Saruman because Saruman the White, and he looks a lot like Saruman from the back. And then they Indeed. do the blinding white light, and they they combine uh, Christopher Lee's voice saying it with uh, Ian McKellen's voice saying it, so you don't know who's talking. And then they have the reveal that it's Gandalf, and you're like, Gandalf's alive! Indeed, yeah, I think that was great. Um, I do have a question, though, about... Because he first reveals himself to Merry and Pippin, yes? Mm -hmm. And then we see him later get revealed to, like, Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas. So when he revealed himself to Merry and Pippin, who is still, like, getting, uh, like, involved with the Ents, they were like, oh, what are you creatures? Um, And then he, like, throws them down to the White Wizard so that they can be verified as hobbits. Mm-hmm. So then, what happened with that? Why did Gandalf not like tell the end? Oh yeah, these are Merry and Pippin. They're people I know. Why did Merry and Pippin end off going with the Ents instead of staying with Gandalf I, and then reuniting with Aragorn and company? I can't explain, and also I'm not a hundred percent sure if it's expanded upon in the extended edition. It might be. There might be a bit where they're all together again, and then. Gandalf and company have to go to, to Rohan and Merry and Pippin stay behind at the ends. I think there might be a scene like that in the extended edition, which would make it flow better, but I can't be certain. I can I can look it up, possibly. Interesting. Yeah, I just that was the thing I was thinking about of like why did 
why did they end up staying with the Ents if he just saw Gandalf the White? Like, wouldn't they want to stay with him? But who knows? Maybe there is a solid explanation for it. Um, but then after that, Aragorn and Gandalf and Co. They decide to go to Rohan um, for just rallying them up, and also because I guess Gandalf got wind of the king there being taken over by Saruman's influence. So they have to go and free uh, Theoden, who so he's referred to as Theoden King or King mm-hmm. Theoden because they said Theoden King, and is that just like how they refer to kings? Because later on they did say King Theoden at another I think point. It's both. Interesting. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so Theoden they have to uh, release him from Saruman's uh, power, and then a thing I did like about this film a lot is it starts introducing that political intrigue, the politicking aspect of having Rohan dealing with this threat coming to them. Um, and they have to try and gain allies and whatnot, but they don't believe anyone's going to be able to come and help them. So he ends up moving all his people instead of fighting head on. He's trying to just save as many people as he can. And he moves over to Helm's Deep, despite again, often them being like, no, we just need to fight. So I like that aspect for sure. Um, that's pretty great. We have as well the introduction to Eowyn, who is not Theoden's daughter, right? Like, was that a thing? Or Eowyn is his niece. She niece. is brother okay. of Air. Er- no, what's his name? Theoden. Carl the Urban. King. Oh, <laughs> she's Carl Eomer. Urban's brother. Eomer. Eomer. Aomer and Eowyn are siblings. They are niece and nephew to King Theoden. King Theoden's son is dead. Like, that's the first time you see Theoden is they bring his son back and he's dead from that, yeah, the, right, the right, right. guy, yeah. And they have to bury him. Gotcha. So, yeah. So, we get witness to her and how she wants to fight, wants to contribute herself to the effort, but is unable to because of gender norms and whatnot. Um, and then we also see her taking an interest in Aragorn who is still in love with Arwen, who is supposed mm-hmm. to be off taking the ships to the Grey Havens or whatever it is, like Elf, Valhalla or something. Um, so that's an interesting thing that they do where it doesn't really pay off. Like Aragorn never really gives Eowyn the time of day. Like he never really leads her on or ever gets interested in her. Um, but they introduce a little bit of her having that attachment to Aragorn. So when he goes missing... And he falls off the cliff, gets dragged off by like the horse. Um, that she is sad about it, and then when he returns, she's able to be happy about it. So we get that element to her. What do you think of that whole bit, like the whole Aragorn and Arwen bit, and then this um, slight love triangle that they introduce? Mm-hmm. What do you think of it? I thought it was okay. Uh, I do like how it kind of ties into the theme of temptation and. Uh, Aragorn is shown to be unwilling to fall into temptation, even though it's clear that he has feelings for Eowyn, but he's committed to Arwen, despite not being sure if he'll ever see her again. So I like that they toy with that theme with his character, but at the same time, I feel like it just distracts a little bit from the overall story. And they really try to hammer home that plot line really hard. I don't know if they try to hammer hard. It, it, it like extends hard. through this movie and also through... Like it's like Aragorn's plotline through this whole movie and then the beginning of the Return of the King up until like uh 
just after you mean like, the Arwen stuff or though. the Aowen stuff specifically? Aowen stuff, the Aowen okay. stuff. Yeah, Arwen's better. I agree with that. Um, because yeah, they, I don't think they spend. No, I don't think so. I don't think they spend too much time in it at all. And I think Aragorn or Aragorn, his plotline for this one mostly is dedicated to him, like trying to get Theoden to like rally his men and be more confident and like, oh, these people are going to fight for you. Like, stop making it seem like we're about to. The Helm's die. Deep stuff, yes. Yeah, I think that I is agree. the majority of what his stuff is, and the slight stuff we get with Aowen, I do. Um, I think it's fine because you need to have Aowen doing something as well. Um, and then sure. having Aragorn like be I torn just prefer between. her plot line with her desire to be on the battlefield and leading her people. I like her being involved in that a lot more than her interest in Aragorn. And I also prefer Aragorn's story outside of Aowen. Like I, I prefer their separate plot lines more than their combined plot line, is what I'm saying. I 100% agree. But I do think to add like something else to it, having their be a combined yeah. plotline there is good but yeah i think it's pretty minor um and so it doesn't detract too much from like their own plot lines or the plot lines from everyone else um but yeah the uh faramir right boromir's brother we see him he captures frodo sam and Gollum. we get to see frodo doing the same thing that bilbo did in terms of saving Gollum, taking pity on him so when faramir was having his archers ready to snipe Gollum he tells him not to do it um but then Gollum gets captured and now Gollum is upset at Frodo not realizing that he just saved his life um and then later on Faramir is he's like trying to bring them back to um to Gondor so that he can use the ring mm-hmm. for uh you know Gondor's purposes and try and fight back against the forces of Mordor and whatnot mm-hmm. um so I think this plot line with Faramir, mm-hmm. I imagine, is much improved in the extended edition because I, I was not he has that a attached few to Faramir. More scenes, and they do have a scene, if I remember correctly, I think, yeah, it should be in this movie, where it, it does flash back and Faramir and Boromir are interacting with each other, and Denethor is in it as well. And it becomes clear that Denethor prefers Boromir to Faramir, like heavily. Like, that's what the scene is for, is, like, Faramir and Boromir have a strong connection to each other, and Denethor likes Boromir more than Faramir, like, a lot. And Mm -hmm. so Faramir, like, certainly looks up to Boromir, and he has the same ego that Boromir does, maybe to an even greater extent, to want to use the ring to save his people, so that he can not only save his people, but garner the respect of his father and his brother. Right. Which I think is interesting, but I don't think we get that in this film. They certainly set up in Return of the King... In the theatrical version. Yeah, I don't think we got that element to it in this one. Um, And so Faramir, we don't really get any, like, attachment to him as being, like, this good, well-meaning guy. We just sort of see him as, like, this very obnoxious obstacle to Frodo and Sam and Gollum, like, plucking them from their mission. Yeah, you don't have enough sympathy for him. Because you don't have that backstory for him. Which is another thing that's, like, it sucks that they had to cut that out. I do love that they use... Farmer, like, like up until this point, you have the part where Gollum, where Smeagol pushes away Gollum permanently, and he becomes Smeagol, and like he's like a good guy for for the rest of the movie until they get separated and they're under Faramir's capture, and Faramir threatens to kill Gollum with the archers, and so Frodo has to trick Gollum, and Gollum feels so betrayed, or Smeagol feels so betrayed that Gollum returns, 
Right. And like, I think that's interesting that because it's not something I noticed on any of the rewatches that he's not Gollum throughout the whole thing. He really becomes Smeagol for a long time. But then that betrayal is so heartbreaking to him that he plots to kill him again and take back his brushes. Mm hmm. Very hate sad. to see it, especially since it's just a misunderstanding. Like, bro, he yeah. saved your life. Even though he got captured, you would have been killed. Um, but yeah, so that that plot line, um, like with Faramir, particularly like I like, as you said, the way that services the Smeagol plot line, I think is good. But um, I don't know, I feel like it just felt like it ground their mission to a halt. And since we didn't have enough of the sympathy with Faramir, it just feels like a like needless diversion from their mission um with the battle of helms deep so this one Epic. the whole film awesome. building Best up to part it of the movie and yeah for sure it's fantastic and it's long too we get a lot of stages to it so it's a very dynamic battle it's also in terms of the like geography of it and the stakes of it it's extremely well established like we know these is this is um like the people of rohan are cooped up in here we know there's uh like the wall and then there's a side gate and then there's this one uh like what was it like a little sewer grate or something um that they had that leads into the into the actual like helms deep and it's a weak spot in the wall yeah so it's like a little easily thing yeah bro the way that this was filmed and the way like the follow-through is on like the stakes of it all and how epic it is this is what the battle of winterfell should have been should have been very dark, should have been snowfall, should have just been epic. Epic. And it wasn't. Agreed. You didn't see shit. <laughs> Agreed, yeah. This one, they did a good job of, yeah, even though it was like a night shoot and there was rain for a part of it, I mean, everything is still very clear. They're I mean, willing again, to show the, things with the moonlight. Like, they're willing to really light things up with, like, faux moonlight. Like, they're willing to go for it. And that's, you know, makes it able to be, you know, seen. <laughs> yeah. Can't be affected it's by something if you can't see it. So, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then we get, we do get some more pretty goofy moments, but I like this one where Legolas is skating down the stairs on the shield. Oh, yeah. And taking shots so cool. people. I thought that was cool. With Gimli, they also were able to weave in like moments of levity, um, like comedic beats in here. So we get Gimli, like when he's not able to see over the wall, Legolas is like, should I get a box for you? Or do you want me to pick you up? Um, and then later on, when they're trying to fight off the people that are ramming into the, Side gate, toss yeah. everyone, yeah, gets to toss Gimli, and then they start taking people down there. So that stuff is great. And we also get character moments as well. So it's not just like good action, but like very dynamic in terms of the tones that they're able to hit in terms of the stages of the battle. But then we get character moments as well with Aragorn finally being able to rouse Theoden King, who is, he's no longer optimistic about the prospects of the battle. Um, and so... Aragorn has to get him back up to that level so that he can show to his people that the fight is still going on and he can rally them and inspire them mm -hmm. and then have them race out on their horses to continue to fight as the horn is going. And then we get Gandalf who returns, yeah. which is another like great setup, which works well when you have basically a two hour gap because it's such a long movie. Gandalf is like, oh, I'm going to go off and try and find like Aomer and all them. And then he's just not mentioned for the rest of the movie. And then they do call back by having it um, like the look to the east thing when Gandalf was like, oh, in five days, look to the east. So they do that just to remind us right before we see 
him crest over the hill with all the people of Rohan, the Rohirrim, the army returning, mm-hmm. and then them rushing down the hill, the light coming over, blinding all the orcs as well. So good. So fantastic. You really feel it in that moment. You're like, yes, thank God. Gandalf has returned with the people. The tide has turned. They're going to win. And it delivers. Like yeah, the, it's epic. The, the Dude, them back. riding out on the horses is awesome. For sure. So good. So yeah, an excellent battle. One of the best in cinematic history, no doubt. Um, fantastic stuff. We also get the ends. And I do like how this ties in with some other like larger themes of, you know, Isengard being transformed basically into this big industrial factory. And so they're commenting on that, like industrialization, especially for wartime and the destruction it brings to the environment. So the ends get mad about that and then they try to destroy the dam and just uh, take down Isengard, take down that whole orc factory. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool too. Yeah, it's um, cool that they get a big win at the end of this movie. It is, but yeah. it's only it's only the start. Indeed, uh, and then we get another thing that I really like. And you brought up a comparison with Game of Thrones. This is another great comparison to Game of Thrones, where Sam gives a speech to Frodo um, after for like basically tried to stab Sam, but then he is like, "Oh snap, okay." The ring is like really taking control. How are we going to do this? This isn't going to work out. So he's also sort of lost faith and Sam has to inspire him. Then he starts talking about the stories that they heard back in the Shire as kids growing up. They're talking about, think about those characters and the stories that mattered. When they were on their journey, they didn't turn back because they had something to hold on to. They were holding on to this, that there's good in this world. So he's giving that speech and talking about like the power of stories and how that relates to their particular situation and circumstance and how it can inspire them. Mm. That is how you leverage stories and talk about that as this very meaningful thing. In Game of Thrones, when you have Tyrion <laughs> talk about, oh, stories. What is more powerful than a story? And who has the best story than Bran? Somebody that wasn't even an entire season of the show. It's like, come on. That would, felt so forced and out of nowhere. It wasn't resonant at all. This one does feel meaningful because like he's talking about like stuff inside the story world of oh thing back to those stories but obviously we can draw parallels to that with our own stories the stories that we've heard growing up and the morals of all of those stories so we have a connection to like what sam is talking about but then also the very story we are witnessing the films we are watching is that kind of story so it's this great like inspirational message that the characters are delivering to another character based around story but it's also a great sort of meta commentary on like the story that we're watching and why we are invested in something like this because we want to believe as they do there's good in this world and we want to see them carry through with their mission and succeed and triumph over the ring and over the forces of sauron so it's great it's like a great way to um in this like middle part of the story to re-energize what this whole mission is about and basically comments on like why the story itself is meaningful. So I thought that was great. I thought that like it impacted me quite a bit. What do you think of it? Yeah. Fuck game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with everything you said. I think you put it very well in uh, like using that as the bookend of the, of the story of like 
reintroducing this theme of like we have to get the ring to Mordor. Like that's why we're here because the whole mm-hmm. movie is like just trying to push back against Sauron and. Frodo and Sam's story has been about the temptation of the ring and like analyzing Gollum and what it ha- what it did to him. And they're like, we need to refocus our attention. We need to refocus the audience's attention into this main goal of like the entire story is getting this ring there to destroy it. So mm-hmm. I agree with what you said. Yeah. And then the movie ends with Gollum. He's full Gollum now. Smeagol's gone. And he's uh he's plotting about how he's going to kill Frodo and steal the ring back. Yeah. Which is great. Nasty hobbitses. <laughs> which comes right after another great moment of like Sam talking about, like, Oh, what do you think the stories will be that they tell about you, Frodo? Like, Oh, Frodo with the great Frodo, the adventurer and whatnot. And then Frodo points out like, Oh, they would say that Frodo couldn't have gone anywhere without Sam. And Sam being so humble is like, Oh, stop pulling my leg. Like, oh, are you joking? And Frodo's like, no, like Sam is such an integral part of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in helping Frodo get to where he needs to be. And Frodo's like, yeah, I'm glad you're on the journey that I didn't go alone because he definitely would have made it. So I like that they also point that out again, reaffirming mm-hmm. their friendship, their bond. Um, so good. So good. Yeah. All right. So out of how many eyes of Sauron out of five? Dude, another five. Come on. They're all fives. <laughs> They're all great. Agreed. There I was not. It to five. I will say of the three movies, this one had the least like the scenes that were cut out from the, for the from the extended edition are more forgivable in these ones, except for like the Faramir stuff where like they cut that mm-hmm. out and it just kind of like takes away from his character. Overall, there's no scenes in the extended edition where I'm like watching this one. I'm like, damn, I wish they had put that in. But then we get to the Return of the King and it's got a few of those. So let's let's dig into this epic conclusion to the Indeed. Lord of the Rings trilogy. Indeed. So it's an interesting out. idea for them to open up with that Smeagol bit where you learn right. where Smeagol came from. I think it's also interesting that Smeagol isn't even the one that initially found the ring. Like you have those opening shots of him like grabbing the ring and him like opening the ring in his palm, and it's not actually Smeagol, it's Deagle. <laughs> yeah. Quite original. Indeed. And then Smeagol yeah. murders him. Hardcore know, murders him. Which I thought was steal the ring. Uh I mean obviously pointing to like the power of the ring and whatnot and then also like Smeagol's character mm-hmm. um yeah that was that was a very interesting mm-hmm. choice to have it be Deagle who finds it first and then yeah. immediately they're fighting over this ring um it's a good uh it's a good backstory because they don't do it in the Lord of the Rings but in the Hobbit in the movies and the books a lot he's uh he refers to it as his birthday gift because you know yeah it was his his, birthday. his birthday gift he was like that's mine um so yeah Great stuff there. And obviously it has like echoes of the Cain and Abel story. So giving it that like biblical sort of undertone to it um, was really fascinating as well. Like that being like the first sin of this new age in Middle Earth, um, which leads to him having the ring and then ending up in Bilbo, then ending up with Frodo as he's carrying on with this journey and trying to destroy it once and for all. Will he be able to overcome that temptation that already was so powerful and immediately turn Smeagol um, yep. into Gollum from the beginning. So yeah, um, I think that stuff is great. Um, mm-hmm. Then a lot of this film, instead of Helm's Deep, now we move over to Minas Tirith, the White Real City. Quick. Was Real it? quick, before we get there. Oh, you have a uh, extended edition thing? Yes, I do. The team, the whole gang from uh, Gaunt, or, uh, from Rohan shows up at Isengard to collect Merry and Pippin because they're there to defeat Sar- Saruman, but he's already defeated. 
Mm-hmm. The way they end that off is at the end, uh, there's that Treebeard says that the White Wizard has holed himself into Isengard. And then they never bring him up again. He's not even in the movie. That was the thing that I was thinking about because I was like, that, that's kind of weird that he didn't show up again at the like final battle if he were still still around and still kicking. Um, so what did they do in the extended edition? In the extended did- edition, he is on top of Isengard next to Wormtongue and he gives a long speech to uh, Gandalf that he will never, because Gandalf's like, come down, join us. We need to know what you know about Sauron so that we can help defeat him. And Saruman gives like a long speech about how Sauron will win and that they've already lost and things like that. And then like mm-hmm. he smacks Wormtongue for saying something because Wormtongue is his little slave. And Wormtongue's right. on the ground and he literally gets a knife out and he literally stabs Saruman in the back. And Saruman falls off of Isengard, plunges very long, and then lands on a spike that is sticking Jeez. out of like a wheel, like one of those industrial wheels that he was on. He lands on the spike. And that's the point where the 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 uh, eye, like the little silver ball slips out of his robe and then lands in the water. And then the wheel turns and his entire body gets submerged into the water. It's epic. Yeah. And it was only like six minutes and I don't know why they cut it. Because well, then I that, don't know why either. That's amazing. Because that, it's already three hours and 20 minutes. But I'm I like, guess, but... you should leave in six minutes to end his character and set up other stuff. For sure. Because yeah. Yeah. then that leads into Pippin reaches he sees the ball and he hops down and he grabs it and that that, that whole thing happens it's, just, it's awesome right it it's so strange that they would cut that out because yeah saruman was like the it's one of the best antagonists that we get right instead of like the object of the ring and then mm-hmm. the spirit of sauron like he is the he's like a physical uh, like human antagonist, antagonist that we can, that see, we can yeah. see um and he like fought gandalf in the first one yeah. He's, he's creating been all this such like, an, machinations. He's been such an important part of the villains in the first two movies. Like he's exactly. the he's the main guy. You know, did he even and appear in the theatrical cut? Nope, he's of, not even in it. That's insane. And also to do that to Christopher, they just Lee, say he. They the just big, say he. And, dude, he was so mad at Peter Jackson that he didn't talk to him for years, and then Peter Jackson had to beg him to come back for the Hobbit, and so he did. Wow, but he was so mad, justifiably. Because yeah, he I cut out too. the entire end of his character when he was so important in the first two movies. And this was crazy. It's such a weird scene to cut out. Like they could have like abbreviated it by cutting down his his speech and just killed him. It could have done so much because it's just so important to know what happens to him. And th- like the way they end it in the theatrical cut is Treebeard just goes, "The White Wizard is holed up in the tower," and then they just leave. Yeah, it's very strange because in any other movie you would expect, oh, he's just holed up there. He's going to come back around and appear yeah. in like the final battle. So you leave that thread open, and that's the expectation. When yeah. in reality he's dead, and you just don't show his death scene. It, yeah, it's that's crazy the scene. Not to send that's off. the scene that I'm so that I'm most mad about that they cut out because it just it just seems like bad storytelling to does, the way they sure. wrapped it up. Like it, yeah, it takes like away. It's not just like trimming down some something that could be covered with something else. Like it is important as a send off for the character. It's interesting that Gandalf like tries to bring saruman back over to the good side and be like oh like help us out like we need Mm -hmm. your information whatnot like you can assist us in defeating sauron like you don't have to stay as one of his pawns yeah that's an interesting bit where theoden is there too and theoden is like like grima worm tongue like sticks out a little bit and theoden goes grima come down you were once a great man who helped us greatly you can help us yet again like he like he like goes back on what he said to worm tongue in the second movie he's like trying to sympathize with him and bring him back Mm -hmm. and like 
Grima feels so upset that Saruman poisoned him like this that he stabs Saruman in the back. Right. Bro. Yeah. I mean, again, so it's sad. crazy that those character moments aren't there. And then also the poeticism of him falling on the wheel, like the industrial wheel. Yeah. And then him drowning in the waters. Oh, uh-huh. my God. Like and then that up. sets up the ball being in the water, bro. So good. Very upset yeah. that they cut that out. That is that very, is very a sad, sad upset. change that they had Just to make. Off, if you will. <laughs> Quite angry. I understand. I agree with you. Uh, but yeah, so Pippin gets the ball, and then later he looks at it when he's not supposed to, and then the Eye of Sauron thinks he has the ring, and then they get a vision of Minas Tirith. And so Gandalf and Pippin go to Minas Tirith to try and get them to prepare for the battle that's to come to them. And we learn about Denethor and him being a horrible king. And he's not even the king. He's just... He's just a steward. He sucks. Yeah, just the steward of the throne and whatnot. He sucks so much. Um, and again, I think the politicking here of he is hearing this message from Gandalf about like, oh, you need to prepare for the battle from the orcs. And he's already thinking, he's like, oh, uh-huh. While you're doing that, you're also preparing Aragorn to come in here and supplant me. Um, and so I thought the way they phrased that too was like, oh, with your right hand, you're helping me fight off the horse with your left hand you're moving to supplant me i thought that was great um and it's a another great instance of like giving us this mm-hmm. human sort of antagonist that just because of his own greed and ego and lesser power and wanting to remain in control he's this massive obstacle making things harder than they need to be and so gandalf and pippin need to take things in their own hands and they set off the beacon fires in order to alert the rest of the uh men of the West, the world of men, and get them to rally and help out. Um, and so that was also a great scene. The dad getting lit up, all the mountaintops, you see the the fires getting lit, and the mm-hmm. music during That's that awesome. scene was a great. I also think it's just funny to think about the people that are constantly at the top of those mountains. Yeah. It seemed like very like hard you look places at it to and, get to. You look at them and you're like, it's not like there's a city or like a little village that they built there. It's mm-hmm. just the beacon. So do they just live under it or something? Like, Yeah, I have no clue. That's got to be a shitty job. For real. You're but the yeah, beacon bearer. You don't do anything for decades. You're just like, we're just going to sit here and chill, I, I guess, know, yeah. and we'll make a living. And then in a year or so, our term will end and someone else will do it. Yeah. It, it's believable, but it sucks. Indeed. What, what a bad sure. job. Especially the ones uh, on the mountains. Oof. But then, yeah, then we see uh, at Rohan, so Theoden King initially was going to be like, why are we going to help Gondor when they didn't help us at Helm's Deep? Yeah. Why would we sacrifice our people? And shed the our blood man. I love that theme, bro. How men are so too. weak because of that. Oh. Well, yeah. And Aragorn's I mean, like, you're a fool. <laughs> yeah, he's like, bro, come on. Um, but yeah, it makes sense. Like, it's obviously, like, it's the thing we think about in the real world a lot. Of, like, oh, why are we sending our people to fight other people's battles? But in this one, obviously, it's like, well, if they get defeated... Who's going to be next? It's going to be us, and their forces will grow stronger. So it just yeah. makes sense practically to like combine forces and uh, hold off the orcs and the people of Mordor and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so they are battling with that. But then once he hears that the beacons have been lit, he's like, Rohan will answer. And so, awesome. they, do. so they start bringing together people, calling in everyone so that they can then march over to yeah. uh, Minas Tirith. And then we see, which is so good, the whole bit about Denethor sending out Faramir and all the army in the White City. 
to go try and reclaim that other city that is overrun by the orcs. Yeah. Uh, Like the way that they hold on the, the march through the city and you have all the like wives and children watching this happen. They're like getting flowers or laying down flowers as they're passing. Oh, it's so good. And then him eating like very indulgent, very messily, Mm -hmm. like being a pig, basically eating these very um, like high class items as he's making Pippin sing over the march of the army toward that city. And then I also love the creative decision of not even having us see the battle go down. They're just implying every horrible yeah. fate that falls upon each of those soldiers. It would just be brutal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I love, like, practically it was great because they didn't have to do another battle, but also creatively, like, just leaving us off on that. Like, the tragedy, we already know how it's going to happen so we don't need to see that bloodshed it's just us sitting with the tragedy of them all going out to their deaths knowing it's their deaths everyone knows it's the case um and yet denethor because or in faramir because he wants to make denethor proud like he has to go out and do that because he's seen as a lesser son and what was the line i forget exactly what it was uh but it was it was faramir saying something like oh i hope if i return he will look on me fondly denethor is like oh it'll depend on how you come back yeah, Something that's like exactly that. what it is, yes. It's like so cold. Oh yeah. What a schmuck Denethor is. And that would have been set up really well if they had had if they had included that scene in the two towers. Agreed. Showing their background. That that distaste would have been set up much better. Because yeah, then, yeah we already would have known like if he was going after the ring in order to partially uh like gain favor of his father. That would make sense in the two towers that he's doing what he's doing. And then here we see another instance where he's basically going out to his death leading his army to their deaths because he's being ordered by his father and he wants to, uh, you know, be accepted by him. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a great uh, character stuff there. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad that at least in Return of the King, it was able to come through, even though it would have been made a little better if they had had it in Two Towers as well, setting up all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, we get Frodo and Sam and Gollum over with their storyline there climbing up Mordor from like behind, I guess, passing that one dead city, which was pretty cool. Um, another really solid miniature, I bet. Um, mm-hmm. Same with Minas Tirith, of course, how it looks incredible. Um, and then we have Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas. I think that's another great scene where Aragorn's going to go alone, but then <laughs> Legolas and Gimli, yeah, are like, come, yeah. on out. come on, we're coming with you. Bye. Like, stop this. You shut up. Come on, man. Come on. Yeah. What are you doing? Come on, buddy. Come on. Yeah, come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. Yeah, come on, buddy. Come on. So I like that. And then yeah. they go into the Skelly army thing. So what yeah. are your thoughts on that whole bit? Uh, it's a little goofy. But uh, even Peter Jackson was like, I don't really want to include this, but I know if I don't, the fans will hate me. Because they're pretty important in the book, from what I understand. Right. I mean, they're the whole backup that they get. They come into Osgiliath, and they run the orcs out of that city. And they really help defeat the orcs in the battle of Pelennor fields so like they are very important to the story but it is very goofy that there's ghosts i agree and i think it's very little jarring yeah it would have been improved had they set it up in one of the previous films or made reference to it in some way because it happens pretty comes out of nowhere yeah it's an hour into the film that we like learn about them and Mm -hmm. then then like like, less than an hour later later, they're already going into exactly yeah so it just happens too quickly for it to feel like a meaningful buildup 
um, yeah. and payoff to it. Even though it is, it's like cool, like when Aragorn rushes out with his sword and then you see all the green like skeletons yeah, awesome, you combine sure. them. Yeah. Um, there is a scene that they cut out in uh, the extended edition where they, because they, the pirates are the ones who have those ships and there's a scene where they kill the pirates so that they can get in the ships and sneak into Osgiliath. And right. uh, Peter Jackson is one of the pirates. And uh, <laughs> they do another thing where uh, Legolas has his bow drawn and then Gimli like tips it a, a little bit and he, he fires it and it just hits Peter Jackson. Oh my God. It's very funny. It's pretty funny. Yeah. I do think it's a great choice not to show them like taking over the ships. That was good because um, we already knew we knew of the one army with mm -hmm. the elephants and whatnot, although I think they're called like the Oliphants or something. Oliphants, yes. Yeah, interesting uh, to change it up, make it a little more fantastic. Those things are epic. They are super cool. But yeah, so we know so that cool. army's coming and we know there's like a sea-born army coming as well. Um, and so I think it's great that we don't see them take over those ships and just we expect, oh no, it's the reinforcements for the bad guys. But no, it's the reinforcements for the good guys. Great. So I do like that they approach it that way. And then for the rest of the battle in Minas Tirith, I think, again, um, it's a really solid battle. Not quite Helm's Deep level, I don't think, but I still think I it's, agree. like, quite Helm's Deep is epic. Like, the stylism of it and, like, the, the progression of events. This yeah. one's very much more like scattered. The All the characters have their own little arcs within the battle, but it's still epic. Yeah, it's I agree. still awesome. When um, the elephants show up, I feel like it really picks up. You're right. I do like that. When Theoden's like, reform the line! charge yeah that's like, why cool. would you charge your head on like yeah it's such a solid plan going into the battle initially is like you're you're going to flank from the left you're going to flank from the right and the rest of us are going to charge head on and i'm like wow what a great plan you're really really selling this and then the all fun show i'm like form the line charge head on yeah and then you like, just wow, get you're really just to yeah the side. you're just clashing into these giant creatures thinking you can handle it damn mm -hmm. it's it's Maybe. very lucky that they won i think it's funny that the because you have the main work eye guy in uh what is it fellowship of the ring who right. is killed by aragorn and then in the second one is there a uh or a guy who's leading the helm's deep charge you remember i don't think there is i'm not sure but then there's an orc in return of the king that's leading the charge against Minas tirith and uh that's the orc that was intentionally designed to look like harvey weinstein really <laughs> yeah that's great because he produced the movie and Peter Jackson was like, fuck that guy. And so they made an orc the ugliest thing possible and they made it pale and they made it look just like Harvey Weinstein. Nice. You love to see it. Head of his time, Peter Jackson. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's great. I think, yeah, yeah, a lot of the things you pointed out of like it's a little bit more scattered, but we do still get a lot of great like payoffs to character arcs and whatnot. I think Gandalf and Pippin, their conversation before it happens, mm -hmm. they talk about a fool's hope. Yeah. And then he like describes the afterlife and whatnot and how, oh, like even if we die, it'll be like, okay. I think that was great. I still think it's nice that he was like, oh, even though we're probably going to get destroyed in this battle, there's still a hope. There's a fool's hope. And since he calls Pippin fool of a took or a took, fool of a took, whichever one, whatever Pippin's last name is, he calls him that all the time. And then mm -hmm. here he's pointing out like, yeah, we have just a fool's hope. Like that's what we have to cling to. Mm -hmm. A nice little moment there nice way to play on that those words um then we have the whole denethor and faramir stuff he's trying to burn faramir alive trying to join him on the like funeral pyre even though everyone's like dude faramir is alive stop trying yeah, what a madman 
What an absolute crazy person. <laughs> I know I hate he's just not even, yeah, not recognizing what anyone's saying. Still tries to do it. And then Gandalf and Pippin have to come in and mess him up, save Faramir, put Denethor, Denethor in the fire. And then he just runs off the like bridge. So cool. Just seeing him like fall down a flame as we uh, zoom out into the full battle that's going on. Um, but yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Rohan arriving is great. And then we get Eowyn's, uh, her character arc, where her mm-hmm. and Mary, both of them were like being told to stay back at that camp where everyone yeah. was gathering. But instead, they decide to go and join the army. And so we see them actually fighting, which is great. And then yeah. we see the stuff with the Nazgul, I guess the Witch King is what it's called. That yeah, main the Witch King Nazgul. of um, So yeah, fighting that thing on behalf of Theoden, who just got messed up. And she pulls off the thing to say, I am no man, as she stabs the Nazgul after saying no man can kill me. Um, Yeah, super cool. Love the stab, like, right into the face that Uh doesn't have, like, like, any actual face. He's just, like, 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 what, implodes into himself? Exactly, yeah. That was super cool. I don't really know how that actually killed him, but awesome. I was thinking that, too. I was like, now, is that, like, a, a legitimate rule, like, no man can kill it and just women can do it or was he just lying and being like nothing can kill me so he's gonna say like no man can kill me like can anyone just stab him i don't think it's like an actual rule i think it's more like he's awesome and epic and so nobody's gonna kill him because he's so powerful exactly and And if anyone just stabbed him in the face it would he would die yeah probably that's my guess because that wouldn't make sense otherwise right yeah i don't know maybe the book goes into i'm sure the book does go into greater detail but you know, he was never even like the main villain. He's not, a, he's barely a side villain. You know, he's just there really in this one movie, even though like they mentioned him in Fellowship of the Ring. You don't really know he's the Witch King. He's just looks like another Ring Wraith. Right. So in this movie, he's, he's just supposed to be that, you know, main antagonist in this one battle. And so it's all right. It doesn't matter. It's three and a half hours long. You got to, you got to <laughs> pace it up. Exactly. Very true. And it's an epic moment. She says, I am no man and stabs him in the face and he dies. It's awesome. It Go is women. super cool. Yeah. And then Theoden dies. Gives that uh, like final message. So sad. To, I love Theoden. I know he's cool, and he was able to he's say the, like he's the captain in Titanic. Oh Same yeah! Guy. Wow! Yeah, look at that! Wow! So I had a good run of movies. Yeah, back to back in, the, in that like six year span. Yeah, first two billion dollar films. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then he passes away, and he had a great speech at the end too, of mentioning like now I can go with my ancestors and not feel shame. I'll be with my fathers. Indeed. Oh, so good. Um, so that's great. And then I also love how once the green ghouls, like the dead army, they come up and they're like, all right, well, we did that. Now we're going to be released, right? Because that was what was promised to them. And everyone mm-hmm. points out like, oh, they're really handy. They would help out a lot against the rest of Mordor. But Aragorn is a man of his word. He is honorable. And so he says, I release you. you were free. Exactly. Which is great. You love it because Aragorn... It's a great man, a great leader, mm-hmm. and he and does what word. he says he would do. Exactly. I'm like Denethor. Fuck that guy. I know what a schmuck. But yeah, it's so cool when he burns up and jumps off. Very true. It's pretty epic. So, so yeah, we get that. Then flipping over to Sam and Frodo and Gollum, I really love the storyline that they have here of Gollum uh, continuing to inflame that sort of tension that is there between Frodo and Sam. Um, ultimately leading to Sam getting shunned because the Limbus bread is what it's called. They like he yep. threw all that away and put some of the crumbs on mm-hmm. Sam. 
So it looks like he will he ate it. Um, and then also planting the seed that Sam is going to ask for the ring. And so when he does, I'm like, oh, I can share the burden for a little bit. Frodo gets freaked out and is like, Sam, go home. And I thought Epic. it was crazy that Sam was actually on his way home. He climbed down the mountain after first he was like crying alone. Could you imagine getting all the way there and, there and not finishing it? And you're like, I guess I'll just go home. I know. Bro, imagine that journey back. Imagine the shame he'd feel the the six months it would take him to get back, bro. I know. It'd be horrible. Um, but yeah, then he sees the bread at the bottom at the foot of the mountain. He's like, oh, snap. Gollum did this. So he's got to go back and save Frodo as Gollum does his plan to feed Frodo to Shelob the spider. Dude, the spider's creepy. Very well done, too. Yes. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> felt all of that. Yeah scariness um so then frodo's able to like barely make it out of that and then fights with Gollum. he's about to kill him but yet again he pities him and spares him and then Gollum can't leave well enough alone still comes after frodo gets chucked off the ring thank yeah. god you think Gollum's dead Gollum's dead Woo-hoo. exactly um they could have built it up a little bit more of like oh yeah that is like his death death um because it is a great uh, way to switch up our expectations and make us think, okay, Gollum's done, and now all that's left is just the internal battle, basically, of Frodo overcoming the ring. But yeah. as we see later on, Gollum comes back around, and that's a great moment as well. But I think they could have built up his fake death a little bit more, so we're fully convinced of it. But still great. We see Sam, or we see Frodo, rather, continuing on with his journey alone now, but then Shelob comes up and stabs him. And dude, Frodo is just a stab magnet in this whole series. Yeah, man. He gets stabbed so often. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Indeed. So he gets stabbed. What, is, what a cool shot where he gets wrapped up in the thing. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That was super cool. He just like, he falls down and before he even hits the ground, Shelob grabs him and just starts wrapping him very quickly. Very scary. Indeed. And then Sam shows up, has to fight off Shelob. Is Which is badass. Born. Good for Sam exactly yeah and then has to mourn frodo thinking he's dead but he is taken by the orc the orcs who's like oh he's actually alive um so then he has to continue that switching back over to aragorn and company they they have defeated them at uh Minas Tirith. now all that's left is basically to give frodo and sam a fighting chance and so they talk about how can we do that what can we do oh we can distract the Absaron diverted away from Mount Doom so that they're able to get in there. How are we going to do that? Oh, let's attack the Black Gate, the in- yeah. impenetrable fortress that has who knows how many orcs behind it. It is... This brings me to another good scene. Oh. Uh, that got cut out. One of the um, initial things that happened is this writer comes out of the Black Gate first, and it's, it's a character known as the Mouth of Sauron, which is basically like this... Cause there's a the Sauron has like these little minions really, that work for that, him as the Witch King. Is it the ugly looking dude? I feel like I've seen pictures of this guy. It's a thing where it's like it's a he's wearing a big Sauron type mask over his face, except and it's for just his like mouth. His and mouth. He has a it's really like big mouth with ugly. It's like a CGI mouth that's obnoxiously large and like just talks a lot. And basically, he gives like a speech about how they're all gonna die and stuff, and how Frodo is is going to be dead or Frodo is already dead and that he has the ring and Aragorn's like I don't believe you and he cuts off his head mm. it's epic 
then nice. they go back and get prepared for battle. And that's nice. That's you love to see it. But yeah, I also love how this is another moment before they get to that point um, where they actually are at the Black Gate. I love that. It's another testament to the power of their fellowship and their bonds that they have to each other that yet again, they're willing to sacrifice everything just to give a an outside chance that Frodo is able to get the ring to Mordor uh, or to Mount Doom rather. And mm-hmm. Gimli's line of, <laughs> he's like, so certain death, slim chance of success. What are we waiting for? I love that. Great line. I lo- uh, the line I like more is when Gimli's like, who thought I was going to die by an elf? And then Legolas is like, how about by a friend? And Gimli's like, I, I can do that. I agree. That I was also that. a great line. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. So that stuff is great. You love to see it. And then finally, over with Frodo, we get the end of that plot line. He's getting weighed down by the ring as he's trying to crawl up the mountain. He's exhausted. If I can't he's carry spent. the ring, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. Exactly. Another banger line. Just back to back to back. They hit us with so many at the climax here. It was amazing. How triumphant as he's he's carrying him up there and then Gollum shows up. <clears throat> so yeah. another, like the first time seeing it, I suspected again, that's why I put it in. I was like, maybe it should have built up a little more because I didn't think that that was how Gollum died. Um, so seeing him come back, certainly a thrill. But yeah, I was like, oh, I wish it was even more unexpected. But still fantastic to see him show up, adding that complication. And then... As Sam like hits him with a rock or something, Frodo's able to go up to the. He musters up some energy and just full on sprints for it, bro. Mm-hmm. He becomes like a track runner. He's going up that mountain <laughs> at full speed. I don't know where the energy Indeed. came from. He was on the verge of death a second ago. He's like, I guess I got the wind back. Gollum's here. He's bro, bolts for it. The big second wind. He was like, Yeah, I'm so close. I can do it. Especially with the knowing Gollum's there now, and so that threat is there. So he's like, I got to do it. I can finally get this done. He makes it to the mountain. We're in the like little chamber where the lava pit is below and he holds it out and he's dangling it and he can't do it. He fails yeah. to destroy the ring and his sinister look when he turns around to Sam and Sam is like, just do it. Just let it go, Mr. Frodo. Then he, he's like smiling and puts it on. Ooh, that was scary. Great acting from Elijah Wood on that part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so we see his footsteps on the like soot or whatnot from uh the volcano as he's walking away leaving mount doom having fallen to the ring and then Gollum shows up again and then attacks and bites off his finger that was so yeah. good as well it's I a funny shot when, when sam is like distraught and then Gollum just raises the rock and knocks it on his head knocking him out mm-hmm. i think it kind of looks funny it does for sure but yeah i love like the narrative choice here because I did not know that Frodo doesn't like throw it into the fire. Because yeah, no. everything you're expecting from like everything you know about stories and like those classic tales and whatnot, at the end of the day, those characters do triumph, right? They are able mm-hmm. to be victorious and conquer basically the embodiment of evil, which is the ring. Um, and that's like a very inspiring tale and whatnot. And so this is also like a very old school traditional sort of story where most of it is like very clear good guys versus very clear bad guys right like there's no orc that we sympathize with there's very few like human or elf or dwarf characters that 
are evil, right? We get Denethor and whatnot, but for the most part, even the ones that are like Boromir that are attempted and whatnot, they ultimately come back over to the good side and do more good than harm that they ever did. Mm-hmm. So for a tale like this, it's very like classical and traditional in that sense. I was thinking, oh, for sure, like the message is going to be Frodo overcomes it. It is possible to triumph over evil in the moment of truth and whatnot. But Frodo doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I was, when I first saw that, I was so floored by it. I was in love with that choice. It's Dude, fantastic. it's just so great. Like, yeah, the ring is just that damn powerful. Even exactly. the most innocent creature in the world, the Hobbit, is corrupted by its power. I know. And after this long journey, like seeing that happen, like you're fully in the mindset of like Sam, like watching that happen of like the complete distress and horror and sadness of seeing Frodo not being able to overcome it at the very final moment. Like he was right there. It was the last, yeah. all he had to do was just all let it go. Let it go. And he couldn't, he couldn't, he wasn't able to beat the ring. And then to have Gollum come over and he's greedily trying to take over the ring as well. And then Frodo is still trying to do that as well. So now they're mm-hmm. fighting over it. And that's ultimately what destroys the ring. Mm-hmm. They topple over the cliff. Yeah. And Gollum <laughs> is finally able to have his precious at the very end as he's sinking into lava. And then the ring also sits on top of the lava. And Frodo's like dangling over the cliff. Um, like I just think it's such a great narrative choice. Such a great thematic choice as well to have basically evil destroying evil like that's what it was at the end of the day it was their greed and their lust for that power for the ring that Mm -hmm. ended up in its destruction and even though that's the case like they ultimately didn't go with the good triumphs over evil at the moment of truth sort of theme it's still you can absolutely take it that way because you saw the like heroic courageous sacrifice of Aragorn and all of them to like divert the eye of Sauron like that undeniably is uh, good that they were doing that Mm-hmm. wouldn't like the ring being destroyed by evil eating evil wouldn't mm-hmm. have been able to happen if that didn't happen it wouldn't have been able to happen if frodo and sam didn't continue on this journey all that time so that's like a constant level of like good triumphing over evil like resisting that evil of the ring for that mm-hmm. long and all the mercy that is shown to Gollum throughout the films from bilbo to frodo multiple times of like choosing not to kill him and to take mercy on him. That's another instance of like better instincts triumphing over darker impulses. And so that can also be taken as like, yeah, even though good itself didn't triumph over evil at the very moment of truth, all the moments that led up to the moment of truth, it was these actions of good things by good people that led to that. Mm -hmm. And so it's still an overall positive message, which I love even more. I think it's such a great way to, cap off this story that yeah. ultimately is not like the the one that you would expect it to go with from the very outset mm. so yeah i, I love agree. love love that ending me too i completely agree and then they've destroyed the ring the volcano explodes all the orcs are crushed in an earthquake of some kind the tower collapses evil has been destroyed and they're lamenting over the fact that they will never live to out see to see you know life spring again they are laying with lava all around them they are remembering the shire sam laments about rosie they're about to die and then and then out of the out of the the brightness of the distance comes big figures flying in it's the eagles (laughs) 
They're yes. flapping in their way. And they grab him and then do such a good shot of Frodo laying in the claws of the eagle with the lava underneath him. And then the other eagle flies underneath. Looks so good. Mm-hmm. 100%. But, uh, yeah. And then the actual ending ending, which is like a good 20 or 30 minutes. of the Yeah, movie. we get the a lot of little minutes. endings. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, the scene where the fellowship completely reunites. Yeah. Albeit without Boromir because he's dead. Where uh, Frodo's in the bed and they're all surrounding him and they're all happy. God, it feels so good. It just it they're does. all just cheering and like there's not even a line of dialogue. They're all just happy that they lived and they won. Mm-hmm. They did it. And then, bro, the scene where Aragorn becomes king. There's just so much like they just tie up all the bows in that little scene. You get to say goodbye to Legolas and Gimli. Eowyn. It looks like Eowyn and Faramir got married. Yeah, something like that. Uh, you can say them. goodbye to. Uh, God, I'm gonna. I'm always gonna remember Eomer. You can say goodbye to Eomer. You're, he's walking down and then boom there's arwen he gets to reunite with arwen she's she's decides to stay with him they share a passionate kiss and even elrond has the sad happiness to his face mm-hmm. we don't talk we didn't talk about elrond enough but dude he killed it hugo weaving is great in this movie for sure elrond yeah. is the best there's a lot of great like a lot of these actors were like doubling up on big franchises it's kind of crazy mm-hmm. like him with this and matrix um like Orlando bloom with this and then going into pirates yeah ian mckellen with this and x-men and whatnot like it was crazy how uh like early 2000s everyone was hidden up on two big franchises at once yeah and then my favorite part in that whole sequence they get to the hobbits bro and the it's hobbits so start good. to bow and aragorn goes no you bow to no one and then gets down on his knee and then everybody gets down on because when the king does something you do it too and they all bow to the hobbits Dude, every time every time i well up with tears bro it just makes me, me too, so happy during that time because I was thinking, feeling I was of like, happiness, bro. Is it gonna happen? I was like, because it was in a because I didn't watch them all like back to back, but I did watch mm-hmm. like the tail end of Two Towers and then the entirety of Return of the King in the same day. And so I was watching that, and I was feeling that same like exhaustive sort of emotion of going on this long journey. And mm-hmm. when that moment came up, it's just so powerful, such a beautiful display of like appreciation, and again that fellowship that they have. Saying you bow to no one, such a powerful, succinct little phrase for that, um, for like acknowledging that sort of respect that they have for these hobbits that gave up mm-hmm. so much to help yeah. out essentially and save the world. It's so beautiful. And I was like, oh, so yeah, I was welling up with tears for sure at that point as well, um, which the first time watching it, it didn't happen. But this time, it, yeah, it did. It's just so good. And then the hobbits return to the Shire and it's. It's sort of sad to see because like they come back in, they're so triumphant. They're on horses. They're they're so proud of themselves. They're super cool. They're like the adventurers of the town of the mm-hmm. whole community. And then there's this really sad scene to me where they're in the bar, and like it ends with you know Sam going and hitting on Rosie, which is great because he gets to live that life. But they're all just initially sitting at this table drinking beer, and it's like, how do you return to this life of simplicity when you've experienced so much, so much action and adventure? And that call is so great. Like, how do you return to this? And I know. It's just and that such was an empty feeling to me. Because, like, when you first see the Shire, you're like, oh, God, this is so happy and great. I want to live here all the time. And then you go on this grand adventure with these characters and you come back. And it's so simple and, in a word, mundane, like, very tame compared to what they've done. Like, how could you return to that, you know? Right, exactly. And that was another thing that <laughs> was making me well up with tears as well. And I was wondering, I was like, is it going to do it? Is it going to actually get me to cry because I think the whole bit about Frodo and yeah, as you described that like emptiness that 
those scars that never leave you basically from the adventure he was on and all the like horrible stuff he experienced all the trauma and whatnot like again getting stabbed so many times essentially being corrupted like they said right before they go up to mount doom frodo couldn't remember the shire anymore when Mm -hmm. when sam was talking about it frodo's like i can't even remember that like to essentially be poisoned from the inside out for all that time and now you've done it you're also like living with the knowledge that you failed at the end of the day um and you're being treated as this hero and still you would probably feel that guilt of like well i i still couldn't even do it and even though i did do it like we won at the end of the day like still carry all that baggage and living a normal life just isn't in the cards anymore like how do you come back to that yeah such a powerful thought and it obviously ties in with like ptsd and like war veterans coming home and like finding it extremely difficult to um reassimilate into normal life mm-hmm. which since tolkien was part of world war one I, I believe it was mm-hmm. um he obviously knew that feeling quite well and so to give that to frodo at the end of this i think is also like a brilliant and sort of unexpected um narrative choice especially for a film that's like based on these books that feel like so classical like from a older um like sensibility to have that is also very striking and was i think a great choice and another thing that elevates it because with other like franchise enders you leave off on this great amazing triumphant note like even just think about star wars um return to jedi right the we end off on those celebrations and whatnot and it's beautiful and it's amazing but here we're ending off on like yeah there's triumphant moments for sure and we get to enjoy in that like with their reunion and their crowning but there's that deep undertone of like sadness with Frodo as well. And then him writing the book. So now we have the there and back again, a Hobbit's tale and then Lord of the Rings. He writes that. And then we get to see the departure of like Gandalf and the final elves to the gray havens. And then Frodo is coming along with them. Oh, leaving behind middle earth. Oh, and it's so dude as well. The, like all those hobbits crying, they're acting their oh hearts God. out in that scene, like all the tears. And it's just so brutal and so sad that, and what's even more sad, because I initially thought that it was pretty quick. He leaves after like they return to the Shire, but apparently it was like four years and whatnot. Yeah. Which makes it even more sad that he like legitimately was trying to like mm-hmm. live that life again and be normal again, but just couldn't do it. Like yeah. the weight of everything, like he even mentions in that one line, like he still feels the scar from when he was stabbed by the Nazgul. Mm-hmm. So sort of bring out like that physical manifestation of all the emotional and mental um, baggage that he is carrying um, and isn't able to be free from. He has to leave. Yeah. He just can't stay. Oh, and it's so sad. And him departing with Sam as well after they go through that whole adventure. It was their duo from like the very beginning until now the very end. And now they have to depart oh so sad so tragic yeah i do love i love the uh the scene where they're in the he's in the carriage with old bilbo and bilbo's like frodo do you think i'll ever get to see that old ring of mine again and frodo's just like no bilbo i lost it Mm -hmm. it's not he doesn't say he destroyed it he doesn't say it's gone forever he says he lost it exactly sad because he just still feels such a desire to want it Exactly. Yeah. That's a great, another great, very 
minimal use of dialogue in order to convey so much, um, even on Bilbo's part, but then yeah, Frodo's part as well. Like, yeah, he lost it and there's still that longing for it. So yeah, and it's a great way to tie up together like Bilbo and Frodo, the two only ring bearers that are left alive mm -hmm. and they still have the shadow of that role uh, lingering on them of still desiring that ring, even though like, obviously you wouldn't want to do that, but still like that power is so strong that even when it's gone, they're, they're still feeling that tug to yep. want to hold it and use it. And Crazy. then like any great story, we end in the same way that we started with a hobbit in a hole. <laughs> That's Very it. true. Yeah. Sam returning to his family. Although I will say before that it is great that they do leave off on, a positive note even before going to that where when Frodo gets on the boat he smiles like smiles mm -hmm. back at them and it's the first time in probably since fellowship that we see a like genuine happy smile where he doesn't have like the huge bags under his eyes or like dirt all over his face or whatnot like that same sort of rosy innocence mm -hmm. has returned as he smiles and so we do get the message that it'll it'll be okay for Frodo sadly yep. he can't stay at the Shire with his friends and family and all that but we do get a message that he'll be okay. Mm -hmm. And then we get a message that Sam will be okay because he returns to Rosie Cotton and their two children back at home in the Shire. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's that's all the movies right there. Now I have, I came prepared with some questions that I wanted to wrap up with oh, just okay. to really wrap the discussion. Also, I want to drag it out to get closer to three hours because I think that's poetic. <laughs> okay, uh, sure. All right, I want you to... Uh, Rank the movies for me. Rank them. Okay. So favorite again, I don't know. At least favorite to favorite. I know they're all great, and it's all pretty they much are one all great. big story. I do. Like if have I had it. to, because I'm now going to add them to my uh, my favorite movies list, but I'm going to put it as one big thing instead of separating them, because I feel mm -hmm. like the Lord of the Rings is just one big story. It really and is. Yeah. Watching it all together is really just it's a combined effort. They were all filmed at the same time. It's pretty much one big nine to twelve hour movie, depending on which version you watch that has been just split up. So like, I'm just going to put it all. I'm just gonna say the Lord of the Rings trilogy is all just together, but it's mm -hmm. also interesting to compare and contrast the quality between each film story wise and like what it does for you. So right. rank them. Which I do think is remarkably consistent, which yeah, is, that's a good thing to think about. I think this is, I would still say the original trilogy of star Wars is probably my favorite trilogy. Because there's course. so much attachment. Classic. I was always a Star Wars guy growing up and whatnot. I mean, and you I, watch that when you're like a kid, you know. Exactly. You watch, so there's this is more like a, this is more of an adult themed kind of thing. There's a lot more complexity to it. Mm -hmm. Star Wars is just like the feeling you get when you watch it as like a child. It's just so nostalgic. Agreed. Yeah. And I also I love Return of the Jedi as well. A lot of people yeah. don't really like that film that much. I anymore, like it too. But I enjoy it heavily. I love the Ewoks as well. People don't oh, like that much. So dude. cool. I love the Ewoks, dude. The scene where the one Ewok gets killed and the other Ewok is like oh my God, adjusting his body. That's heartbreaking. Like, come on. You can say like, oh, the Ewoks are there just to sell toys, but tell me that your heart didn't break when watching that. That's Bro, a tell me that Poppy doesn't look that. like an Ewok. Tell me that Poppy <laughs> yeah. doesn't look like a little Ewok. She's so cute. She does. Um, but yeah, so. I, I think that is that, also my favorite trilogy, but I'd say that this is the best trilogy ever made. That's what I would probably say too. Like in terms yeah. of just overall consistent quality and having and this follow through yeah. like beginning to end like completion of a full story it definitely feels like it's the best and it's what really benefits trilogy with they were all made at the same time for like, sure that's yeah. definitely what it helps with uh i mean some people would probably say the dark knight trilogy which i wouldn't agree with 
Yeah, I, yeah, probably wouldn't agree with that either. Although it is very good, I would say. Yeah, I'd say they're all good, good films. Uh, the Matrix I'd say these trilogy, are all great. which definitely falters in quality. What are other trilogies? Yeah, Matrix trilogy would not. I would say, because yeah, what other like trilogy? Three films, or each of them are not just good. But There's all the superhero great. trilogies, but who cares about those? I think know, any of those the Dark Knight really one. stand up. Because there's, like the there's always like one that falters. Yeah, I do like yeah. the Spider-Man trilogy a lot. Yeah, oh like, yeah, you're right. Spider-Man those 3 has been great. rehabilitated yeah. a lot in like the public eye. But I, again, always loved it. Like as a kid. It's okay. <laughs> when I first saw it, that was like my favorite one of the three. That's, um, more, that's crazy. That was probably because it was the only one I actually saw in theaters. So I got Fair. like the full uh, like cinematic feelings with it and got attached to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I there's still the have always trilogy that. for Star Wars, which, you know... It has its moments. Even though that was one I grew up on as well. I think I yeah. always knew. Because Revenge of the Sith. time watching it, you're like, there's definitely ups and downs here. Yeah. Like, even Revenge as a kid, this... you're like, some of this isn't great. Yeah, for Revenge sure. Revenge of the Sith is awesome. It is. And I always love that. And again, as a kid, that was my favorite movie of that as well. I don't blame you. Um, but yeah, it I still think... is my favorite of the prequels. Are you kidding? Well, I meant of like all the Star Wars. Like as a kid. That's crazy. That was the one that was my favorite. No, um, I always loved A New Hope. That's always been my favorite. Gotcha. Yeah, I do love, man, original Star Wars is just so good. But yeah, I think over time, certainly we in terms of trilogy, that one's an all-nighter and watch the Star Wars trilogy. That'd be so we much should. fun. It would only be like six hours. We could start at six, be done by midnight. Or start, if you want to do like a real all-nighter, we could do nine to three. <laughs> true. Um, but yeah, so that that's great. But yeah, you certainly, even as a kid, you knew there were elements to like Phantom Menace and Taclones that were, it weighted down a lot. So yeah, I don't yeah. think that could even be in the conversation. Um, what else other trilogies that are that good i still think in terms of like modern trilogies i think the planet of the apes the new ones oh yeah those are, are good like probably the best and certainly in terms of like blockbuster ones probably which is interesting the other one they were very consistent. each very distinct rather than being like one cohesive thing they were all very exactly. very separate and distinct but they all work together really well which is dawn of the planet of the apes is so good oh i agree Fantastic. i need to rewatch it it's so good yeah. rise is okay we'll do war is really on. good but dawn is amazing Mm-hmm. Oh my god! So there's that. What other trilogy? It's hard to think of them. There's the Pirates of the Caribbean, the original Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. If you I don't do count like the, the latter two movies, the original trilogy is good. I agree. I have fun I with. Think, I think they're all good. At some point, we're going to do an episode on that. But yeah, I think I don't think I've ever seen the latter two movies because I didn't want to. Dead Men, Tales, Tunnel Tales, and whatever the fourth one was. <laughs> oh, I have seen uh, the fourth one with Blackbeard. I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Davy Jones trilogy is great. I agree. That one is really solid. Talk about in 2000s, like the franchises that we got. Yeah. We were spoiled then because they were all distinct and none of them were like overly superhero-ish. But you did have like Spider-Man and X-Men and the beginning of Batman Begins. You had mm-hmm. Pirates with Lord of the Rings. With Dude, I love the shit in, in, in parts of the Caribbean at World's End when, when what's his name, the British commander is walking down the ship as it's exploding around Ooh. him. God, that shit looks so Old time shot. That's great. Oh my um, God, it's awesome. I'll bet you had that. And you had the prequels, like the Star Wars prequels coming out. So in terms of franchises, I mean, like the turn of the century to like mid-2000s, I mean, that was great. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say in terms of just overall quality um in terms of the filmmaking craft as well going into it the story this one would have to be like the best mm-hmm. not my favorite that but i'd say it probably is undoubtedly the best again with ranking i don't know which would fall in second or third place but 
my first place is certainly Return of the King. Mm. Because, and we talked about it before, I always have a sort of bias to the climaxes of things. Yeah, of course. So, like with Breaking Bad, Avatar, mm-hmm. Last Airbender, Better Call Saul now falls into that. Um, yeah, of course. With, like, the prequel trilogy and Seeing whatnot. everything, seeing all the cards fall together is... Thrilling. Exactly. Because I think it is so difficult to pull off because like you do have to you wrap everything together and this is our departure from everything and so in order to balance not just because you have to raise the stakes beyond anything we've seen before you have mm-hmm. to like make it more grandiose and more just bring in more of that um mm-hmm. scale so it's got to top all the other ones in terms of that while bringing together all the plot lines so you spend all those other movies setting them up and then building them out so now they're expanded now you have to tie them all together delivering that on terms of plot and with all the characters it's just difficult to do to bring all that stuff together and so whenever i see um a work that is able to pull that off i'm like nice um and i love seeing because yeah usually those climaxes do also bring the big either big battles or the big emotional moments that pay off the character arcs and that stuff always is very resonant with me so i would say return the king because it has it has that in spades with not just the aragorn plot line like having him truly come into his own as the leader um, and becoming king like taking on that role that he was always resistant to do but partially because of that um, and because of all his other work and like being this well-learned like he speaks elvish and whatnot he knows tactics he's able to inspire people and rally them he's very competent but he's also like very kind and compassionate understanding like he's got all these incredible qualities and because of that, now he's like essentially earned being king in both his eyes and in the audience's eyes. Like he is definitely the best choice for that. And so, yeah, you it's crazy see that Aragorn is eighty-seven up. years old. I know. Which do they say that in the films or they does say that it in the, the extended editions? They okay, don't yeah. say it in the actual theatrical. <laughs> it's a very odd because then they mention him in the Hobbit movies, which take place sixty years earlier. Right. And when I watched that trilogy, I was like. Is that a mistake? Like, what are they talking about? <laughs> he's so young in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And then I had to look right. it up and be like, oh, he's like 87 when that so shit goes down. Are, do men just live really long in the Lord of the Rings thing? Or just, is Aragorn just like an insane... I think so. Like, I think something <laughs> is odd about him. Like, there's something different okay. about him that makes him live longer. But I know dwarves live like 300 years. Hobbit live a normal length. Men live a normal length. Orcs live longer, I think. Yeah, and elves live crazy long. Elves never die. Yeah, never dies. But then, uh, my ranking would be bottom. The number three would be Two Towers, just because it is very much a a bridge between the first and the third movies, and all the characters are separated. They're doing their own thing. I think it's great to see them have their like separate plot lines, but it's definitely like very scattered to me. Right. Even though each plot line is great separately, I just I wish they were more interwoven, which wouldn't make sense, of course, in the in the context of the story. But it is what it is. And then after that would be Return of the King, just because it is epic, and I do love climaxes as well. And typically, Return of the King would be the best one because I value climaxes just like you do. Mm-hmm. But dude, Fellowship of the Ring <laughs> is so—it's so simple the way they approach it, and it's so iconic. Like every moment in that movie is so iconic that it's just so thrilling to watch. Every bit that happens with them becoming the Fellowship, the journeys they take as a Fellowship, like it's literally just a get from point A to point B kind of movie, and they're there together. Like right. it's so simple when they approach it and it's just so incredible how entertaining it is, even though it's that simple. That's true. Cause yeah, you do get 
um, instead of like the complicated and split up plot lines mm-hmm. that you get with the second two films with that one it's, a it's very, literally just a like, journey and, shot of yeah, yeah it's just a journey we have and it's good these versus nine evil. fellowship members yeah exactly um and, and that yeah. works really really well I now agree. next next question because well, wait, 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 i didn't wait, 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 finish wait, wait, wait. my ranking because oh, i said yeah, return said, of king is number one i thought you said two and three you wouldn't you didn't know what you'd say well you said yeah i didn't know what i would say but you're gonna say it anyway i'll yeah i'll talk through what my opinions are because i like in two towers we get Gollum, and i love Gollum. i think he's a great yeah, character of course um, like he's very interesting but also all the like r- functions that he has in terms of like being the foil frodo and whatnot all that stuff is i think great it has the battle of helms deep which is so thrilling so incredible mm-hmm. amazingly done um we get i like also as well the themes with the ends and how they plan with like the industrialization and commenting on that um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's great. I love Sam's speech at the end, like I talked about. But then there are other parts that I dislike, such as the Faramir stuff. I think mm-hmm. it really stalls out the Frodo Sam Gollum plotline. And if we yeah, don't have that, that yeah. sympathetic connection to Faramir, it just yeah, there's like something missing there. Um, the Ents themselves, like the beginning part of that, it also may be the like CGI, like the way they do their eyes. Where they mm-hmm. have like whites of their eyes, but then they have like pupils as well. I know something about that is just very off-putting. <laughs> okay. I feel like uh should have gone another route into like giving them their eyes. That didn't Good. make it seem like just pure human eyes, but then tacked onto walking trees. So <laughs> odd. Um but yeah, so that's why parts of those I'm not too big on that, but I do love those other parts a lot. And it also has the politicking element yeah. to it, which um, you love fellowship didn't have it at all but yeah you know i'm a big fan of political intrigue and whatnot um but in fellowship we do as you said there's a lot of iconic moments we get a lot of gandalf the gray stuff and i think that's just a great way to go about that mentor character as well because he's clearly wise he's clearly lived a lot of stuff um and you can depend on him well but you also get that sense that he does not have it all figured out he at times as well like frodo will ask him things or other characters will ask him things and he's like i truly have no clue like let us go try and figure this out like he has to go and do research at one point um so yeah i love like his character in this a lot mm-hmm. the beginning of aragorn strider i think is great i think the whole do fellowship you know how you're gonna rank it or are you internally debating it right now i'm figuring out right now the fracturing <laughs> of the fellowship i think is great because on the first viewing I was saddened, but like, oh, why'd they break up? But I was also like, why Why exactly did they break up? This time I was able to appreciate a lot more like the story reasons of why they did that. Um, yeah. And also I think it's a very effective way to bring it, to leave it off. Also, yeah. you got the Balrog, oh, which epic. they had a great thing in the Two Towers beginning off. But yeah, seeing the Balrog for the first time in this one is incredible. Uh, you have the exposition prologue at the beginning, which is fantastic. You have a lot of the like ring stuff. They don't put on the ring in the later films too often mm-hmm. so you get a lot of that stuff here yeah i don't know it's it is a great you can just beginning. leave it up to just you can't figure it out and that's okay no we will establish an official ranking which i will be held to for the mm-hmm. rest of my life yes. it is return of the king yes then fellowship of the ring then the two towers i figured that's what it would be yeah there's just a couple of weak parts in the two towers in terms of like pacing problems and a little bit right. of like 
keeping those storylines so separate kind of naturally weakens it, even though it's necessary. But true. But you know, it's still it's all one big thing again. It's yeah, awesome. they're all incredible. So it's like they're made of the same. It could have been no big if, gap between if them. we had a better attention span, you could have made one big twelve-hour movie and people would sit through it, and it would be hard, but people would do it. But you know. <laughs> It is all just one really big thing, and I'm glad that it was made, and I love it very much. Next question. Who's your favorite character? Interesting, interesting, interesting. So, as I talked about before, I think Aragorn is just so cool. Like, he is the embodiment of like what a good man should be, and a great yeah. man should be. So, he's just awesome. There's something about him that you're just drawn to instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love, as I brought it before, like Colum's character. The of split course. personality like Gollum and Smeagol. I think that's also just a brilliant thing to do because there would be so much missing, I feel like, if we didn't have him, not just in terms of like the plot and like him throwing a wrench into Sam and Frodo's relationship, but mm-hmm. the thematic purposes he's serving are fantastic. Of course. Um, Sam, he's just such a good friend. I mean, he's the embodiment of like a friend that you would want. Sam is classic. Um, I like... Frodo and I think is a stronger character in Fellowship of the Ring. Like later in the other two films, I still think he has an interesting like battle, of course, and he's our like surrogate for wanting to do the good things and fighting against evil and whatnot. But mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure he would take the crown, of course. So I don't know, man. I feel like Aragorn's an all timer. Yeah, I'm gonna say Aragorn as well. It's just so. Epic. So well done. It's the same thing as like people who love like Rob Stark in Game of Thrones. Right. He's just like a complicated character that typically makes the right choice and will follow his heart and will follow the duty of man and it's epic and awesome. Mm-hmm. And you just yeah. you just love to see characters like that. Just triumph. You love watching them succeed. Agree. What would you say? Because Gandalf is also, I think, a great Gandalf character. was I was debating between Aragorn and Gandalf because yeah. they're just my favorites. Gandalf I love is that so good. Gandalf is able to do so much. Like he is mm-hmm pivotal in like getting the yeah the ministerial stuff like getting that going this shot which we never talked about of him rushing out and like shining the light on the nazgul's that are like flying overhead yeah. to save that army awesome that stuff is incredible you love to see yeah. that so gandalf is also yeah. super and cool. i don't really like sure. the hobbit trilogy but gandalf is certainly the best part of it mm. like he's he's great because he's just he's not even like trying to be like a super wise character helping defeat uh, this great evil that is going to destroy the world. He's just trying to facilitate an adventure and he's right. just fun because of it. So like Gandalf, Ian McKellen as Gandalf is just excellent, Indeed. but it's definitely Aragorn for sure. Yeah. Now, uh, least favorite character. Interesting. Now we're talking about disliking them. Disliking we're talking them. about which like, character, like, character in terms of writing. Not, not like writing, like which character do you hate the most? Gotcha. I mean, it's got to be Denethor. What a yeah. Shoot. Oh, 100%. Denethor is just the fucking worst. He's awful just an being, Awful father. Yeah. Awful fake king steward. Imposter. Mm-hmm. Pretender. You hate him. Yeah. He also can't eat for anything, bro. Bro, yeah. wipe your Sloppy mouth. Sloppy ass eater. Come <laughs> on, bro. You pig. Now, uh, favorite hobbit. Ooh, favorite hobbit. Um, Interesting. We didn't talk about it, but I do appreciate Merry and Pippin's arc in the very final film like they had a very pronounced arc where they were both mm-hmm. when aragorn starts rushing towards the black gate the first people that start following him are mary and, Mary Pippin. and Pippin. And they i think go it's for such it, a great choice yeah 
So they're like fully in now. They start off as like com- complete comedic relief, like bumbling little fools. It's because the hobbits have just so much heart. Indeed. To now they're like truly fighting alongside Aragorn, risking their lives. Um, even though certainly, I mean, the whole effort of the army will likely fail, but them as well. Like, what can they do? But they're doing it anyway because it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. They want to dedicate their lives to doing something good. So I, I do appreciate them a lot, but uh, no, they would not be the top hobbits. Again, with Frodo, I like just that whole arc and that eternal conflict is great. And Sam, I also love, like, you can really feel his passion and his loyalty to Frodo. And that makes him extremely likable mm-hmm. and enjoyable. Whereas Frodo, when you're seeing, like, him falling to the sway of Gollum, you're like, come on, bro. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's understandable because he's, you know, influenced by the ring and whatnot. So, hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. I know I would they're both so good but Samwise don't forget about don't Samwise. forget about Bilbo Bilbo's well Bilbo there. would not be the top one um, but Samwise Gamgee he's just such a good friend he's so kind he's amazing so I know I might put him above Frodo just because it's just so heartwarming to see Sam do everything he fights so hard for Frodo and for his friends and all, all of that Makes him very endearing. He's a very happy chap. You love to see. Who would you have as your top hobbit? My top hobbit is Mary. Really? I love Mary. Because Pippin is very much like a goofy, uh, definitely like, for the most part in most of the movies, he is like the the humorous hobbit who really gets the laughs and stuff. And that's great and all. But Mary, like, he goes along with it and he can play along with the bits as well. But... He also has such heart and care for Frodo and like really he just like stands out as someone who's really trying to put himself forward and and like he like really goes gung ho into this whole adventure very quickly into it. And he's like he's the one who recommends going to Buckleberry Ferry and he's the one that they <laughs> they he like stays with. Them. I love his bit with a when he really wants to go into battle. I just I love the passion that he has and all of that. And, and of course, I do love his relationship with Pippin and how they're just best friends. And right. I love when they when Pippin finds him on the battlefield and Mary is like unconscious and he's like, Am I dead? <laughs> right. I love all of it. I love Mary, dude. And I like Pippin's up Pippin's good, but if I had to rank him, it'd be Mary, Sam, Frodo, then Pippin. Just because Pippin's I, character is that he is a fool and a bumbling fool, fool until the yeah, he's a bumbling fool until the very last movie when he gets, you know, to be the hero and like right. the, like he, he gets a much more pronounced role, which I like. But like in the first two movies, he really is just a bumbling fool throughout. True. Yeah, Mary's awesome. Now the last question, we're gonna end it all on this: Will you be watching Lord of the Rings: The Rings of Power? Interesting, interesting, interesting. So, because that's like the reason we did all this now. Yeah, because they're releasing it. They're doing a new one. So I will watch the first few episodes i mean i guess it's also i don't know how many are in the season but i don't think it's that many so i will watch it i do plan to do it mm-hmm. um am i jumping at it no, probably not. don't think so but i will give it a fair shot um it's dealing with galadriel and elrond but Obviously, I don't think the main actors are coming back for that. So no, they're not. while there's some familiar characters, it's not necessarily like familiar actors. Um, and then I am just curious into what like the overall 
plot is going to be like what are we fighting for because it can't be the ring it can't necessarily be sauron so what is going to be the like overarching conflict i don't know so i'm curious about it i'm interested to see if they're able to capture that same sense of the fantastical world and being immersed into it um because i think it'll be like the most critical thing because if they aren't able to capture that it'll just and it'll not live up um at all so hopefully they'll be able to do that that's what i'll be mainly looking for in the first few episodes and then hopefully enough of like the story and the characters will be able to pull me in and keep me going for the remainder of the season mm-hmm. but yeah i do plan to watch it yes what about now, you now i said this about house of the dragon and i didn't commit to it <laughs> but I'm going to wait and see what you say about Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, before I commit to actually watching all of it. Mm-hmm. If it does, if it seems like it's just going to be a waste of time, I'm not going to bother because I don't, I don't feel very passionate about it. I said that about House of the Dragon, and then I said fuck it, and I watched the first episode, yeah. and I really liked it, and now I'm keeping up. I still have to watch the third episode, but I'll get there. Gosh. And uh, uh, this time I'm actually going to commit to it because I really have no interest in Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, but. If you come in and you're like, they did some interesting stuff, it's kind of worth a watch. I'll be like, all right, I'll get around to it, you know. But I don't see myself, I really don't see myself watching it. I don't think it's going to be something that grabs me. You know, I already have everything I need Lord of the Rings related with these movies. I don't really need anything beyond it. Like, it's so well done and so well crafted that I don't feel like it needs to be expanded anymore. I didn't think the Hobbit movies needed to be made. (laughs) I don't I think mean, the it show does, needs to be made. It makes sense that they would make a of Hobbit course. movie, but bringing it up three. into the trilogy, I think, is what a lot of people were yeah. not fond of. I also don't like the way they blended the technology as opposed to how they did originally. I felt like it was a little... I don't like to say CGI heavy because I do like CGI, and I think CGI is great and it works really well, but I don't think it blended well with the practical effects like it did mm in these original trilogies my least favorite part is that they use all these cool tricks to make the tall characters and the short characters combine in the original trilogy right but then in the hobbit the only tall character is gandalf it's all just dwarves and bilbo so for the most part you don't need to do many of those tricks so when they added in gandalf he's only added in digitally in every single every single time like he's just filmed separately and then they digitally add him in and make him look tall and it just kind of takes away from the magic of it like i loved the little tricks they did in the lord of the rings with using children and using forced perspective and then sometimes using digital editions because like they had to do that for the the big shot of the fellowship where they're right. all standing together of course they had to digitally do that which is fine they have to do it to, for an epic shot but like to do it for every single one like there's a story where ian mckellen gets so frustrated because almost all of the scenes are on green screen and i'm like i don't blame you man that that sounds atrocious compared to what you used to do where you flew out to new zealand for 438 days <laughs> were it, like in this production and on these scenes and in these battles like talk about how easy it is to get into character when you're surrounded by these great sets and how hard it would be to stay in character if it's all just green like I for agree, an actor that yeah. must be frustrating Indeed. but uh yeah i'm i'm very satisfied with our discussion how about you? you know that so i never watched the hobbit movies You've never seen any Even of them? to this day. Not seen a single one. You should watch them. I should? I think the first Didn't one's okay. The first one's okay. The second one is a little bit better. The third one is terrible. 
I've heard. Oh, the climax yeah. is really, really Were there bad. five armies or not? That's why I need to know. <laughs> I don't think there fucking were. Because <laughs> I tried to fucking count, and I only counted like two or three. It's dwarves, elves, and orcs. And I'm like, what the fuck? Where's the other two? What the fuck? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I remember that being a thing where they called it Battle of the Five Armies, and there were apparently not five. I don't know how you messed that up, but... I really don't know why it was separated into three when they really could have done one three-hour movie and they could have cut out a lot of the extraneous stuff and the pacing would have been better and it probably would have been more well-received. I'm sure. I think they wanted that money. Yeah, they really did. And they got it in a way. I think it did fairly well. Anyway, that is that is all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make suggestions for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to give us five stars, five anything on whatever streaming service you're listening to, either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Google Podcasts, whatever you're listening to. Give us a great review if you really like the show. Uh, be sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your day.